roll tape. Hello. Welcome to the Bacon Burgers, your newest outlet for ASMR hobby. <sighs> Together today, we will go on a journey that will take us far, far into the nether regions of V1, V2, all the errata books and all the things that make Hari go, well, fuck me, that was a giant mistake. With you, as always, is me, Chubby Cheese, joined with Sneaky Cheese, Commodore Cheese, and Serbian Mario Cheese. It's Welcome me, all. A Mario. Evening, fellas. I don't think I can maintain that anymore, and that I will be very... stuff <laughs> of nightmares, man. Yeah. I, was, I was getting tingles in all the wrong places then. Oh, no. oh that's Maybe disturbing on so many Maybe levels. Maybe huge. I, you had, know the I had a cheesy pizza for dinner. This is going to fucking haunt me all night. <laughs> if I see, you, if I see your cheese for the next week. Nah, if I see your, if I see your webcam fog up, I'll know what's going on. It's as simple as that. Oh my god! All right, we are the Bacon Burgers. We are back. Um, yeah, yeah. This is uh, probably. I mean, I'm I'm going to say it's going to be a relatively short episode, but I mean, who knows? It's us. Fucking rabbit holes abound. Um, of course I am, Tristan, join, uh, uh, joining me is uh, JL, Hari, and Rubes. Um, we're going to get into it pretty quick. Uh, I've been talking to Hari today, and I know full well that when I say, Hari, well, how's your hobby been? Hari's going to go, I've done fuck all. Yeah, I've done fuck all. Yeah, I've done fuck um, all. <laughs> Rubes has done fuck all. Pretty much. Sneaky, save us. What have you been doing? Ah, uh, well, I'm sitting here right now gluing together the uh, Perry uh, Desert Rats. Uh, How are you finding that? Very nice. Something. Um, look, they're, they're nice miniatures. They're um, yeah. they're a bit anorexic compared to the uh, the Warlord <laughs> style. Give uh, that boy a sandwich. That's right. Um, Just give no, that boy a field good. kitchen. Skip the sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, they're, they're well detailed. They're they're um, a little bit fiddly to put together. Yeah, in some spots, but um, my my biggest issue with Perry is always because the detail is just so fucking fine, they're difficult to paint. Yeah, yeah, I'm sort um, of don't know how I'm going to go with that, but yeah, I, I've I've struggled in the past. I've actually got um on my hobby table, I've I've actually had a bit of a break from hobby. Um, not by choice. It's just been so cold uh, here in Melbourne. Um, I think. I think over the last two or three weeks, we've broken into double digits on the on the on the thermometer, only a couple of times. Um, and yeah, out in the garage, I'm sitting in the garage at the moment, and it is it is well well chilly. Um, now, all of our friends in the you know the northern hemisphere, um, probably guys like um, well, I mean, let's be honest, Pete and Aaron are going to be going, oh, fucking single digits, nine degrees, that's shorts weather. And if you're a complete freak show of a human being, then yeah, you're probably right. It might be shorts weather. I'm not a freak show of a human being. I enjoy my testicles being warm and comfortable. So therefore, I don't mind the warmer weather. But it's been horrible. Sneaky, what else have you been doing? Well, it's been a bit of a Perry, uh, Perry theme, actually, come to think of it. Um, been trying to finish off uh, a bunch of Napoleonic uh, Perry cavalry that's been sitting on my desk saying finish me and fuck me off to the uh to the display cabinet so you're not i'm not in the way anymore yep. so i'm trying to yep. finish them off um did another big batch of the uh stargrave stargrave 
uh, minis for one of my clients. Uh, so I handed over 40 of those little bastards uh, on Sunday. Fun to paint? Um, yeah, they are. They're, 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 they're certainly an interesting kit. They give you a lot of variety. So you, know, you can stick all sorts of weird squid heads and uh, raccoons and space monkeys and whatever onto the... Uh, the Wait, you have intergalactic trash pandas now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, a nod to um, uh, Guardians. Guardians. Yeah. 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 The Intellect Trash Panda. Yeah. I don't. Um, I don't mind. I don't mind me a Trash Panda. If I'm honest. Yeah. So I did those. Um, I I I thought that I had finished my uh, 15 millimeter uh, 100 Years War English Army because uh, I I took it for a first game of uh, ADLG the other day, and then I realised being a complete nincompoop i fucked up the basing because uh as is common with uh games in that scale not all types of units go on all the same size bases and oh I misread the rule book so archers go on one size base pikemen go on a different size base with a different number of figures which is supposedly so that you can quickly visually tell what is this unit that's that's in front of me oh that's um, interesting it is a pain in the ass, though, because it means that you have to order somebody to laser cut you the right-sized um, uh, bases. Yeah, and fair I, I had thought that the ones that I had were the right-sized ones, but I was uh, disabused of that notion. Disabused? <laughs> Jesus. It <laughs> <laughs> um, sounds that like some fairly robust uh, disabusing went on. No, it wasn't. It was just frustrating because it, I, I just finished them and now I've got to rebase them. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the other thing I did was to uh, pull out the um, my Hungarian army uh, out of the uh, the cupboard and go, oh, I really need to finish this. Because I sort of stalled with that at about 85% uh, and just ran out of gas gas in the tank uh, to finish it off. So I'm uh, going to try and get that done uh, just so that that can be something that's finished. But uh, yeah. So something's been happening. Yeah, well, I've um only in the last couple of days I've I've actually uh, gotten back to my hobby desk, which has been nice, and I've actually sort of continued my journey with the DAC. Uh, it's like I painted a test model and gone, yeah, that looks great, and then just abandoned the hobby cave for for warmer parts of the house. <laughs> yeah. um, so now I'm actually I'm just literally getting the first six guys done. I've actually I've got an event coming up in October in the UK. So, because I'm going to that, I now have a deadline, which is exactly what I need. But other than that, yeah, it's been a it's been a, a weird couple of weeks. It's just uh, you know, I had a wedding uh, that I went to, which was a bit of fun, uh, not bolt action related, but just you know, took up time, um, time that you're happy to spend. But anyway, all right, let's get into the meat and potatoes. Um, Hari and I, I think, are just going to give a quick update on what's going on with uh, CanCon 2023. Indeed, um, Hari, take us off, mate. Go for it. So we are we're getting sponsors on board, and oh yeah, it has to be said they are coming to the table uh, admirably and with offers and support that has been beyond our wildest dreams. Um, first of all, I want to shout out to Adam Brooker at Dice of War. Oh yeah, who's come on board to supply us with the event exclusive uh, D six that every player will be getting, yep. as well as two packs of TO dice. So 
Adam, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. That's absolutely phenomenal, mate. You're a prince of a man. Oh, he's a legend. Oh, just, you know. And Tristan, I believe you've got some good news for us too. Uh, I have uh, have some great news. Um, The next one to talk about would be, uh, I think I mentioned this in the last cast, we've entered into an official sponsorship arrangement with Kaiju. Uh, That has been delivered. Um, So the... um, Winner of Best Sports next year at CanCon, if they are of the legal drinking age, will be walking away with a slab of beer. Um, we will likely also be giving out um, spot prize six packs, um, so long as they aren't consumed in the venue, um, to, what do we say, first foobar, first person to lose an officer, first person uh, to lose the yeah. most expensive unit, and also first person to lose, in, lose a unit inside a building to HE. So yeah, somebody player, brings player who brings. looks like he's playing as if he's drunk. Way our game, I'm going to be uh, absolutely plastered if I can make it, and if I was a drinker. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like well, Harry and I, Harry and I looked into it, and I, we we reckon if you were stupid enough to put your most expensive unit and your officer in a building, get two pins on your medium how it's a roll of foobar, and then use that foobar to shoot. <laughs> the, the building you could essentially with one dice win an entire slab but you know if that happens that's epic i want someone to do that. i want someone to do that so badly i mean let's be honest when tristan and i were talking about this the player we were, we had in mind was you Rubes, Rubes. because <laughs> you're the only one crazy enough to take an early wall list run a veteran major yeah. fully get decked out then shove the idiot in a building yep. and then throw by ha onto it yep that's my boy does sound like me that's, that's exactly got rubes. Um, so yeah, that's um, that's the that's the sort of the, the the first lot of big news that we've got coming out is um, that's yeah pretty exciting uh, that we've got um, uh, we've got that sorted. But the other one, the the other sponsor that has official, well, we've had a couple of sponsors officially come on board, so we'll go and run through them quickly. Uh, War Games Atlantic um, have. I'm not going to say what they're doing for us, but I'm just saying it's huge. Is that, you reckon that's fair enough, Harry? Um, look, I'm huge, I honestly kind of feel it's an understatement. Like, huge, with a Y. Yeah, yeah. huge. It, it is absolutely huge. Um, yeah, it there's, is, a, there's a good degree of oof in there. Yeah, oof. it is utterly phenomenal. And but so are they. Well, this is true, and I think it's safe to say that both Tristan and I went from six to midnight when we heard what was actually. It was obscene. Yeah, Um, I'd say they all work. Yeah, I see exactly right. Um, So yeah, uh, War Games Atlantic have come on. Uh, We some amazing stuff are coming out. We're going to get those guys on the show at some stage uh, soon to kind of have a chat about what's going on. Uh, There's also talk that um, I think. I think one of I think one of the guys from War Games Atlantic might be in um might, might be in attendance, so it'd be nice to meet those guys and you know put uh, faces to names. Um, we've also got Eureka Miniatures; they've come on board. Um, thank you to Nick and um, Jack. God, I had a mental blank for a second there. So that's amazing. Uh, just incredible. Um, uh, who else have we got? Hari. People, we've had that many people um, come out. Yeah, it's uh, so Eureka Wargames Atlantic uh, Knights of Dice. How could I forget that? So Vivid yeah, Knights absolutely. of Dice is um is coming out of the work. Battlefield accessories um are going to um 
uh, are going to provide us with um, one of the light Halo Pros that I currently have on my desk. Um, that will be awarded to the winner of the Best Painter competition. Um, and, of course, as always, uh, War and Peace Games. Absolute stalwart. Stalwarts of the Australian scene. So, um, you know, just we've got, we've also got plenty of other um, irons in the fire in regards to prize support. So we are putting it out there right now and saying that um, this prize pool is going to be incredible. Um, typically, what we're aiming for with CanCon 2023 would be the biggest event that we've seen in the Australian in the Australian event roster when it comes to bolt action. And we're pushing very, very hard to make this the best event that it could possibly be. Um, there'll be more stuff coming out. The players pack we're hoping will drop around about the first week or two of July. Um, and at that stage, if people want to start, you know, sort of playing around with lists, uh, you know, we're more than happy. We've got the, um, you know, of course, we've got the five rule changes that we're putting in place. Um, it's all kind of happening, isn't it, Ari? Just a just a lot. Oh, sorry, guys. I'm on the arse end of a bloody sinus fuck up because New South Wales decided that along with the rest of the South, it wanted to have a cold snap and yeah, it's a lot of bullshit. You don't know what cold is though. No, I don't. But my sinus. Well, have you seen my skin? I'm built for the tropics. You are built for the tropics. I will never go on record as saying that. <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently. Single-digit temperatures don't agree with my sinuses, and they've no. decided that they want to stage a little rebellion. Yep. Which has been fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, at this stage, um, yeah, I, th I, I can say it now. Our, our intention is to make sure that everybody goes home with, um, you know, I, I mean, they're going to go home with some really, really good shit, regardless of, you know, where you come mm. Um, we've got stuff coming from all over the planet. Oh, it's going to be big. It's going to be huge. Um, we're really, we're going to be putting a call out, uh, for terrain at some stage, um, in the very near future. Uh, we've just got to finalize a few things. I'm still speaking to some people. Um, but yeah, we want to make sure that the terrain up there is, is a one and you know, there's no dud tables. So, um, yeah, it's all kind of happening. Um, Yeah. It's been a wild couple of weeks, actually, on the CanCon front, hasn't it, Harry? It really has. It's um, there's been some ups, there's been some downs, there's been a few, a couple of curveballs we've had to deal with, but uh, on but the nothing... whole, no, there's nothing that's kind of made us stop and rethink every life decision we've made up till this point. Yeah. Um, you know, we are fully intending to deliver on our talk of the. Biggest and best event the Southern Hemisphere has seen. Yep. And at this stage, I see nothing on the horizon that could prevent that. I'm sure of another natural disaster, but I'm going to say to the powers that be, that is not a challenge. Yeah, 100%. We've had fire, uh, we've had flood, we've had famine, we've had everything. So, no, knock it off. Well, I mean, apparently the, uh, the lights, the power may go off while we're recording this. Uh, they haven't quite decided if, uh, if we deserve light and heat. I've heard Sample Tandy Mouth. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. But south in Queensland, though? No, nah, rolling blackouts into um, uh, Victoria. But it's it's it, it's situational. Yeah. I don't know whether it'll happen to us or not. Usually so. what happens is if the grid at Sydney goes cactus, um, for some reason we get affected. But other than that, it's not really a problem. 
you be on Queensland's grid, though? No. Um, there is no Queensland grid. We all share... The whole East Coast shares the same power grid. Oh, it's more cracking. Well, technically, oh, that's not entirely true. How are we um, on a rabbit hole about electricity <laughs> grids? That's not even... That's That's got to be the worst rabbit hole we've ever done. I'm just sitting here going, we're talking about... Like infrastructure, what are we doing? Bolt action. If you're gonna rabbit hole, at least angle it towards bolt action. I've now got ideas for objective markers and objective terrain out of that discussion. Oh shit! Here we go. I feel um, you're drawing a long bow there, Rubes. But you know, oh. please entertain me. <laughs> I was trying to save us. I was. I was clutching at straws. You was clutching Mate, at straws. You were trying to save actually, your dignity, but actually, you, you no. forgot to remember that you don't have any dignity left. That's true. <laughs> Having said that, there is a um a new game coming out, um O two hundred hours, which is Yes. Um, yes, I've been liking the look of that. Which here's our link to a power plant talk. Yeah, so cool. um it's uh clandestine um actions in World War Two, so commandos, SAS, yep. uh, Brandenburgers, um sneaking yep. around, blowing shit up. Um yeah, so that'll allow for some interesting uh, terrain ideas, which will have a flow-on effect for uh, creating some interesting bolt action tables, hopefully. Look, I like where your head's at, but I really feel like you've, like I said, that was a long bow you drew. So let's yeah. uh, <laughs> sally forth. Good try. You get, a, you get a gold star for the effort, Rubes. You really Ooh. do. You there tried, you and therefore no one can criticise you. But exactly we right. Still will. But we will. Behind your back. All right, so... Um, yeah, so with CanCon, uh, we're just in the process now of kind of just getting it all booked in, getting it all locked away, um, and then getting the things in place that we need to sort of get in place so that we can, you know, run this run this thing successfully. Um, so far as I can understand, we've actually got a few um, a few old hats in attendance. Um, I think Anthony the Rocket Man is going to be coming up to run admin for us uh, from time to time just to help out. Uh, Garrett's talking about coming up because he reckons it just sounds like a heap of fun. And yeah, I'm well looking forward to actually getting up there and sort of seeing everyone again after COVID because, um, you know, I've made it very clear that, you know, my intention now is basically just to enjoy the crap out of this uh, hobby and just uh, do everything I can to uh, sort of help it. Yeah, uh, oh, absolutely. There is a um, a certain element of getting the band back together with uh, all the uh, names that keep floating around for this event. And yeah, go on. Who else you got? Well, uh, Pete West, oh, the man, the myth, the legend, legend, has um, quite generously offered to you know volunteer some of his time and mentor us. Yeah, to show us the ropes and the uh, the path, the way, as it were. Yeah, on and this how is. To and I, I got to be honest. Pull this off. I got to be honest. I mean, Pete is like the gold standard. I mean, mm. you you don't get any better than Pete West when it comes to running events. I mean, he's, you know, the he's 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 Big Papa West. Exactly. But um, you know, we're just going to do everything we can not to you know fuck up and make him embarrassed of us. Well, yeah. Um, you know that is the desire, and yeah. look, I have no doubt that. The CanCon Can 2023 is going to be an event that none of us will forget. No. Um, 
Tristan and I may look like shattered shells of ourselves at the end of it. We will be. Um, well, I mean, yeah, hopefully not, but also, if you're not putting in energy, you're not doing it right. Um, but yeah, it's shaped up to be a good one, guys, and the players pack is going to be very tasty. Um, yeah, it's... I can't say too much without giving too much away. But yeah, I know. It's, I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. There's so many. There's so much that I just want to blur yeah, out. But I'm like, no, um, we just got to leave it and just. Yeah, we're trying. We're trying to uh, keep you on edge, as it were. But yeah. definitely uh, block in. You know, January 2023. You're hitting Cancun. Yeah, come to it because you'll have a. It's like we're you know bacon burger guarantee. We're we're laying it out. Yeah. I'm not um, sure if I'm double booked. I'm I'm kind of expecting the comet to arrive about that stage <laughs> after the last couple of years. That was you naysayer. The, the zombie <laughs> uprising or something. You see Sneaky out. I mean, Sneaky, you'd look great just stalking the streets of one of those, you know, one of those A-frame boards. The end is yeah, right. <laughs> Just abusing people randomly. That's, that's, oh my God, you need to make that happen. How do we make that happen? No, but the mental image I've got is just Sneaky standing there leaning on a placard that says the end is nigh with a flaming yep. torch in one hand and a burrito in the other. Yep. Oh, <laughs> that, the, bur the burrito idea is fucking right on his. That's right on the money. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what's going on at the moment for CanCon. Um, if anybody has any questions, queries, if you've got just hit us up. Please ask. We're an open book. Um, just be patient with us in regards to the players pack. It will be coming. Um you know, we want this players pack to be absolutely A1 uh, in regards to visual, but we also want it to be very, very clear and very concise. We want to make sure that, um, you know, we're presenting something that is in keeping with, uh, you know, what we've been professing. Uh, in the last episode, mm. we talked about how to run a successful event. And we want to make sure that in doing that, uh, we actually present something that is, uh, you know, in keeping with what we've been saying. So, yeah. Stay with us. Uh, we will. We will be, you know, coming out with that at some stage. Indeed, and it will be good. It will be good. Is that? It will be very good. Is that? Yeah, very, very good. Um, very good. we're back to our ASMR. <laughs> it will be very, very good. Uh, I'm going to stay away from that. That's pretty. Yeah, gnarly. don't, don't ever do that. It, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's too disturbing. <laughs> Sneaky will call me up at about I don't know 11:30 tonight. And be like, can you? Can you just talk like that again, just for about forty minutes, and just if you hear snoring, just then you can hang yeah. up the phone. Just read the shipping news for a while. <laughs> Fran, Fran, is that you? <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'll come, Fran. I'll come. <laughs> oh, I love it. See, every so often I get your fucking references. You are like, and this is the pain in the ass about you, Sneaky, is you are intellectually the most intelligent person on this podcast, bar none. And you say a lot of shit where you're like, like, I, it's, I know that it, it relates back to something, but I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about because I haven't read that book article, you know, seen that weird film that, you know, only four people have seen. But every so often I get you. Every so often I'm right there to catch you. And it makes me very happy when I can do that. I, I was Bernard Black at one stage. Oh, I can see when, uh, it. When when I first uh, around the time that that uh, that show came out, I was actually working in a bookshop, and oh, uh, God, yes. <laughs> these people would come in and go, "Do you know there's this guy on the TV, and he's just <laughs> like you, but he's Irish." <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I was like, I didn't realize what they were talking about because no. I didn't have television at the time. And uh, right. eventually I did. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'll wear being a drunken misanthrope. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll wear being Dylan Moran. That's fine. That where it's due. Yeah. Um. All right. So, uh, I think. Um. Oh shit! Do you want to hit? Do you want to hit a break, or do we want to like just launch into sandstorm, like you know, sneaky launches into a burrito? <laughs> <laughs> um. Look, I'm easy either way. Let's do it. Wear it yeah, like we're... a speed bag, man. Come on, let's go. No, let's punch <laughs> it. Punch it. Hang on, so, hang on, hang on, hang on. Wait, wait one, what, one moment. What have you done? Moment. What have you got? What do you got? What do you so, got? So, I've got a little something prepared. Uh, oh, God. This is, uh, nah, this just, is, this is worrying just me. Leading. Just as a lady. Yeah. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Is I it the Imperial Death need, March? I suddenly feel the need to build a fortified position. Yep. Smart move. Uh, stupid. Load, 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 load. He sounds like a Russian screaming as a panzer comes over the uh, trench wall. Just like, no, oh, he's, 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 he sounds like a Russian screaming as a tractor comes to get his fucking tank. Some leaded music. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> I'm going to need a whistle, some glow sticks, and some LSD. We're so fucking cheap. We're so... <laughs> Could We're going to put a copyright strike against I know. We have to stop it about there before we get hit with the lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> this is the bacon burgers, not fucking, not prestige worldwide. All right. God. Okay. okay so, um, I'm going to mean bleach to clear that image. Yeah. So, Hari, you yes. read Sandstorm. How did that go? Well, um, Sandstorm was great. Um, running an yeah. event at the Australian Armour and Artillery Museum, you can never have a bad time because if the game is going crap, all you need to do is stare off into the distance at one of the multiple steel behemoths surrounding you and you can lose yourself in a world of exhaust fumes and grease. It's and, absolutely amazing. And um, sweat. Look, I will say straight off the bat, I made some choices with the players' pack that I do actually regret. There were things that I didn't fully think through. Um, it happens to the best of us. It happens. It absolutely happens. Um, it, that being said, there was some stuff that was absolutely well-received, and I would, you know, I would implement that at future events. See, this is what happens when you don't bounce ideas off of me. Yeah, but one... Yeah, yeah, but let's be honest. Those late night phone calls when you bounced ideas, I've had to sit there as you li list the uh, insanity of Schnell's Angels. Yeah, but I mean, here's the thing: for every Schnell's Angels that I fucking send down the phone to you, I actually have come up with a couple of good ones. Yeah, this is true. Where you go, oh yeah, no, that's not... yeah, go mm. on, and then you know we get to so yeah, we do riff pretty well. We um, do fucking. We've got to. We've got yeah. to rapport. Look, I honestly, I put the mistakes down to. Not bouncing the players back out for a review and putting it together post-flood and in the middle of an absolute shitstorm at work. So, you know, it is what it is. But for those TOs out there, I'm going to say, guys, write your players pack, get your review group to rip it to shreds, then go back and rewrite it. Simple as 100%. that. 100%. So, yeah. All right. Sandstorm, the meat and potatoes of it. Um, 
On the day, we only had 13 players, so I had to jump in and play as a fighting TO, which I won't... Here's the thing. I won't say that a TO playing in an event is impossible, but I will say you do have to be... You, it's Well, it's not difficult, but you have to be selective of which events it occurs at. Yep. If you've got a player count of 16 or less, you can do that. Yep. If you have 16 or more, forget it. Yep. Sideline yourself and just focus on being a TO. Yep. Um, the benefit of... Well, the benefit and the uh, drawback is that the Cairns community is relatively new. And when I say relatively new, the paint's still drying on them. They are... Off the back of Operation Thunder, we ran there last year, they formed. So that Bolt Action community is less than a year old, or just over a year old now. Um, so there wasn't much I had to do in the way of uh, policing lists. We didn't see the, you know, strong combinations of units that you would normally see at an yeah, event. because I, I couldn't afford the flight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I made sure the LRDG slot was already taken before you submitted a list. Oh, I was fucking everyone's. I don't own that army anymore. You need, <laughs> need to calm the fuck down. Well, I couldn't see you power painting your DAC in time, so. Oh, no, you know. God, no. Fuck that. Um, yeah, no, it was good. We had a good spread of lists, and theming it around the Second Battle of El Alamein meant we didn't see any of the. <sighs> Late war slabs of metal. You didn't see yeah. your tigers. Definitely no panthers. We didn't have Americans there, so no one was playing easy mode. Um, oh, shots fired! <laughs> oh, all the shots fired. That being said, there were a few rules changes I made. Um, I'll pick out the more salient ones that actually had a direct effect. Yep. Um, so straight off the bat, armored transports, armor seven or more. Reduce their base cost by 20 points. Now, when I... Well, it wasn't terrible. Did anyone bring a Lamb Wasson Schlepper? No, nobody nobody brought the uh, Landwasser Schlepper. I can't understand why. I think it's maybe because they didn't want to say Landwasser Schlepper every time the damn thing activated. I love it. Such um, just say track boat, save your time. Um, we did see... Probably a higher than average number of brand carriers. Well, but, then that's great. Yeah, I mean that's good. And brand carriers are mitigated by the fact that they do only carry five men. Yep. And if you do shell out for that additional LMG, you can only fire one of them once you've dropped your squad off. So good, but you know, also not yeah, not game breaking. Um, I don't think anyone could accuse a brand carrier of being game-breaking. Um, the complete absence of multiple launches was well-received. Um, didn't, didn't allow them? Didn't allow them because they weren't in theatre at the time. Oh, that's fair enough. Okay, all right. So, yeah, yeah Nebelwerfers don't make an appearance until Tunisia. Yeah. So, yeah, their appearance is always post-Alamein. So anything that appeared after that, I was not allowing. Yeah. So for that... To that end as well, I stripped Tiger Fear off of Panzer Fours. Um, there were a few long barrels at Alamein, so again, a little change that good, not game breaking. And to be honest, I don't think anyone missed Tiger Fear on a Panzer Four. I know I certainly didn't. Um, one thing that I did discover 
to my chagrin. Well, no, actually, not to my chagrin. It was more I realized how good the mechanic actually was. Uh, one of the British national characteristics from Campaign Western Desert, the, oh, rule, the South Africans. Yeah. So the rule as written is that if a South African infantry section uh, suffers pins from a small arm shooting attack that does not inflict casualties, they do not receive a pin. Now, on paper, you look at that and go, okay, that's, you know, that's all right. It's not horrifically strong. It's not terribly garbage. I could potentially run that. However, once you factor in the fact that most of your shooting is small arms based, yep. your reliable means of putting pins down, rifles, LMGs, MMGs, all of a sudden, if here's the thing, you can roll to hit all the live long day, but yeah, I defy any player out there to stand up and say hand on heart that they have reliably hit and then reliably inflicted casualties. Nah. It's impossible. Depends on and what you're when, shooting at. If, you, like, if you're shooting yeah. at, yeah, like, inex... If you're shooting yeah. at inexperience, then absolutely you'll be causing yeah. casualties. But when you're firing at veterans... In hardcover. That's problematic. Yeah. Because then, yes, yeah. it is it is themey in a sense, and there's probably an argument to be made that that's how veteran troops should act on the board anyway. The simple fact is, I think that rule needs a certain revisiting. Um... And it's this isn't coming from a place of... I mean, I lost that game, but I'm not salty about the loss. But I do look at that mechanic and think it mitigates one of the central core mechanics of the game yeah, in a but way I would that also, it probably I would, shouldn't. Yeah, but I would also argue that Japanese do that, so... Well, this is true. And, yeah. I mean, we could go on for hours about the Japanese... And Which maybe maybe we will in a future for in a future cast. Yeah, not doing I mean absolutely. I may actually get over my um, dislike of bayonets. Yeah, bayonets <laughs> and long bamboo <laughs> poles being thrust into uncomfortable places. Oh, you love we it. did have our uh, what four year anniversary for that just the other day, didn't we? No. Yeah, we did. I saw that pop up in my Facebook memories, complete yep. with the photo of me trying to kill old mate with mine bullets. <laughs> Photo. Oh, you probably should have told me before going into that event that I'm not the emperor of mankind and I can't kill someone with mine bullet. <laughs> it's just still it's something. I do love that photo because you look so intense, and the, you know, just this old bloke's just there to have a bit of fun. There's Hari glaring across the table and like, yeah, because in the time up between, and make your fucking move. Yeah, I mean, it sounds unreasonable, but in the time lapse between him withdrawing the dice and then making a concrete oh, no. decision, I'd done my taxes. Was this the wizard that we're talking about? No, it's yeah. not, 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 not Jim. Was it, it no, Jim. it wasn't the wizard. No. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. Jim's, but... Jim's, Jim knows his shit. Like, Jim Jan, Jim Gann, he knows oh. his shit. He, he moves remarkably Please. quick. Don't mind, Jim. Jim, mm. if you're listening, you're a good man. Love your work. Um, so another change that I implemented was that any LMG taken is 10 points by infantry squads. Yep. However, if you want to take two of them, you've got to have at least 10 men or their maximum available number. And you yeah. can only take the second LMG if you have the option to do as per the unit entry. Yeah, yeah, sure. Funnily enough, the only people I saw running squads with more than one LMG... Schutzen. Yeah. yeah. And... Well, of that, we only saw four Schutzen squads. 
That's not too bad. Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, we did yeah, see. For you. Did it break the game? Oh yeah, it did. No, fucking no. I should have heard him. Harry was Harry was like ranting about it later. He was like, <laughs> "Fucking Judson, can't oh, believe yeah. they fucking wrote this into the game. Absolutely awful. So broken. Yeah. It's the most broken no, it was thing ever. Horrific, groups. Fucking um, the Germans have still, got you know, you're on the blacklist for even considering it. Um, yeah. Oh, the Germans are so powerful. If you submit a list for CanCon, it will be subject to the highest level of scrutiny. Yeah. Rest assured. That level of scrutiny is me sitting on the shitter just going, yeah, that looks all right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's about... That's, burgers, where we're yeah. all about quality and class. 100%. If it's rooms, I know it's going to be fine. Like, oh, yeah, having said absolutely. I shouldn't say that, because now you're trying to sneak something in. No, nah, I'm watching you now, Larson. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't try. <laughs> yeah. Nah, you fucking um, rumbled you. All these years, I'm nine years old and a false sense of security. Thinking, oh, yeah. Mate, mate there's nothing false or secure about that beard. No, I'm fucking all over you, fucking Serbian Mario. Trust me. Fucking, you're not getting away with shit anymore. It's a me, a Mario. I'll tell you what, that beard's looking pretty good these days. It was, it was fucking haunting my nightmares for a while in the last cast, but it's really coming nicely. Yeah. It looks Mario. Yeah. Sneaky's oh. looking good. Are you going to grow your hair out again, Sneaky? Are you going to become a bit of a, a, a reclusive weirdo again, or are you going to maintain this professional visage that you've cultivated? <laughs> Yeah, I, I've decided that I like uh, being able to eat, so uh, I do need a job. <laughs> no, but now that you've got the job, surely you're just going to grow the hair back out and, you know, no, you know it's, go, it's go... a pain in the ass to look after, and there's nothing worse than a... a, a nothing that says um, <laughs> watch list, like a, <laughs> it, was, it was long hair that's kind of like receding and got a big bald patch. I know. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> I prefer it when you look a little bit Howard Hughes. I think it's a good look, but I also understand where you're coming from as well. So, okay. Yeah. All right. So, the bare bones of it, Hari. So, you got how many? You got 13 players? Yep, 13. We had a couple of um, dropouts because of COVID, unfortunately. Yeah, that is still rearing its ugly head every now and then. Um, So, you know, players, do be careful. Yep, please do be careful. Get back. Um, yeah, the other change I made, which was actually quite nice to see, uh, HMGs increased their rate of fire to four, and they increased their range out to 48 inches. That's nice. It was. Um, Did anyone Albert, take you up on that? Well, Albert actually ran an SAS platoon, um, yeah. LRDG, and a lot of Jeeps with HMGs. And... In our match, he was a fantastic opponent. Absolutely very good. First yep. class opponent. Kept me on my toes the entire time. Yep. At no point did I ever have the feeling that I'd gotten on top of him. I yep. lost that game, which we shouldn't surprise anyone. Nope. Um, if you cross swords right. with Albert, be prepared for a very, very tough game. A rigorous He's fisting. Classic opponent. Um, but the HMGs on the Jeeps they were actually able to have a bit more of an impact than I think they normally would have. Yeah, it's just um, the, the, the low shot rate really sort of... Like, I don't even... Like, if even if I don't get them on a tank, I, I generally won't even get them on a tank. I'm like, nah, it's, it's not worth it. Well, I mean, that's the other thing. The cost associated with getting them on a tank, like, what is it, 25 points for a Pintle HMG? Yeah. Who's really going to drop 200-plus points on a slab of armor? New players. Yeah, new players will. But once they actually read the pintle, sorry, the pintle rule, yep. who's going to use that HMG? Yeah, well, I mean... Who's going to pay for it? 
no, at it's, that it's, point, it's, it's, it's aesthetic decoration and nothing yep. more. No, that's 100% correct. It's, uh, and it's one of those for things. a weapon that has been in service since the Second World War, yep. I think, honestly, it deserves a bit better. Yeah, it does. I mean, this was my attempt at fixing it, and from what I saw, it worked quite well. And I'm looking forward to retrying it with a future project army, but that's under wraps for now. Um, so, let's get one thing out of the way now. The big mistake I made, or yep. one of the big mistakes, allowing fortifications. Now, yep. I had not fully read the rules for weapon pits. Turns out, if Pretty you good. take a weapon pit, such as a gun pit, um, it actually gives you the same benefit as being down. As yeah. per the errata. So it gives it grants the dug in rule. Dug in gives you the benefits of being down, neg two to hit, halves HE hits. But here's the kicker. Say that that lovely howitzer you've stuck in a gun pit is targeted by something that you really don't want smacking it, like, say, a medium howitzer. Yep. So you wish you had a down order. The down order doubles the benefits. That's... So all of a sudden, that's a neg four to be hit, and it quarters HE. Oh, that's that's savage. Yeah, I can see what they're trying to do there, but I yep. mean, I mean, here's I mean, here's the thing. Um, other than your event, have you heard about these things being taken to events? No. no. So... Because to be perfectly honest, I don't think anyone actually runs them at events, no. and I've certainly never heard of people using them on the tabletop for casual play either. No, because you'd rather instead of spending you know a couple hundred points on a um, fortification, you'd rather go and oh you know fucking oh no no this. no no let me let me stop you. No, there. sorry, no, they're they're quite cheap, aren't they? Twenty five points. Yeah, see, but I mean, but even then, you're like, oh, well, I can if I can get a you know another order dice and an AT rifle or you know. Yeah, I mean, it's that trade off between flexibility and durability. Yeah. Um, I think in the long run, I'd prefer to have the flexibility of uh, an additional order than the durability of, you know, quartering HE situationally. Yeah. But still, it was an absolute monster to try and dig out a 25-pounder that had been deployed in some hard cover yeah. with a, uh, a a gum pit. In the end, I just I, went... I could see, put, you know, putting a um, pack 40 in one of those would be... Oh. So well, for hey, yeah. twenty points, or you know, yeah, what's twenty points when you've got an eighty-eight millimeter? <laughs> yeah, um, paying one hundred and seventy points. Yeah, might as well go all in, turn it into yeah. a proper tank. Like, yeah, yeah, no, it was. Um, if you're going to do that, just get a Panther turn. But I mean, essentially, what you're doing is you're buying a cheaper Panther term, aren't you? If you did a flak eighty-eight with one of those things, one hundred ninety points. Well, yeah, yeah. and the and you make it harder to hit. And, and you're also regular. And you've got to kill seven crewmen to get mm. It is very thematic, though, because in the desert, that's actually what they did. They'd bury the, uh, a lot of the 88s down so the muzzles were firing horizontally across the nape of the earth. And um, quite often after shots are fired in the, the dust and sand, you can see the trails of where the rounds had basically pushed a, mm. a divot through the, uh, through the earth as they um, were firing at British tanks. See, that's fascinating, but all I can hear from Rubes is, oh, I'm going to be bringing one of these things to CanCon, and I'm just trying to justify it at this stage. 
I do have four or five 88s. Yeah, I knew it. Oh, right there with you. you. We actually, funnily enough, we did see, because I allowed theatre selectors, we saw an anti-tank gun platoon turn up. Oh, yeah. That list... Now, I kicked this around with Brad when I, um, when I featured on Cast Dice to talk about Sandstorm. And we were sort of, we were debating the, you know, the what-ifs and the how-will-it-functioning game as a list. Turns out, on paper, 288s is very threatening. In reality, and I'm sorry, Andrew, but I'm going to have to throw you under the bus here. When the player running that platoon cannot roll to save his life, that list is useless. Um, yeah, but that's... I, look, I will say this, Hari. That's most lists. Mm. If you're rolling poorly, that's not a metric that you can you can kind of factor for. And a lot of people will say, oh, well, you make your own luck and all that. And you are right. You do make your own luck. But... Yeah, you slip a TO of 50. Yeah, you can never... You can never, ever factor for bad dice. Like, if that... If he'd, if he'd rolled hot three games, mm. he would have gone home with first place easily. That is, that is a... That's a good list. You're not wrong, it? but the other problem with that list is the fact that when you're playing an objective, when you're playing a lot of scenarios that have objectives as a victory conditions, yeah. it's very hard to maintain any form of forward momentum. Yeah, I agree. Because you then have to sit there and say to yourself, okay, how much of my firepower do I have to sacrifice this turn? Because keep in mind, yes, you do have 288s, but you've also got to flesh that platoon out with... Yeah. You can only take light anti-tank guns, uh, I think medium machine guns or light machine guns, and you have a maximum of one infantry squad. Yep. So your opponent can quite easily look at your list and go, here's the way I'm going to hamstring this. Oh, exactly right. I mean, there are plenty of ways to get around it. Mm. And, you know, I imagine that his opponents wouldn't have had too much of a hard time. Yeah. No, um... I think he ended up playing Lee Avery at one point, and... Oh, that guy's a savage. No, yeah, Lee, I love you. I th- <laughs> Lee um, also ran Dak, so we had a bit of blue on blue. Um, but yeah, no, all over it was a good event. Um, I certainly learned a few things, and you know, there's no negative value in a lesson, as far as I'm concerned. Every TO should always be learning. And yeah, it's it's one of those things. I mean, it's, if if you make a, it, I mean, did it did those decisions that you made ruin anyone's weekend? Did anyone go, well, it was fucking shit, I won't be back? No, no, absolutely of course not. not. They're all going to come back, and they're all going. You know, if, I mean, if, if I could have gone, I would have gone. It would have been great. But you know, you learn from these things. You just go, well, that didn't work. We'll do that yeah. differently next time, and you will, and it'd be great. So anyone who's make... salivating over weapon pits at CanCon, forget yeah. it. And you'll be and and you'll be like you know you, you'll run it again next year and you'll make a whole new range of fuck ups and it'll be <laughs> uh, not even I won't even have to wait that long. Hey, we have faith in you. Oh, thanks. You no, no, no. Hang on, Rubes. Don't don't let me in on that one, mate. You just fucking you just <laughs> Rubes got faith in you. Yeah, Tristan has to back me because I'm helping him run Cancon. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. No, no, I'm helping you. You're you're running point on this one. Oh fuck. Yep, we're all doomed. Great. Hey, can yeah, I... You're all fucked. Because, Hang uh... on. Just, just for a second, I'm just going to jump in. Just, Sneaky, can you just, just say something? Uh, like what? Right, now, look at this camera. Doesn't that look like a fucking, like one of those, like a railway gun? 
Yeah, that's what I've been doing the whole time. <laughs> he's got a he's got a painting light set up, and when we first jumped on, I'm like, "Have you got a new model? Are you painting something?" Oh, he's like, "No, it's my fucking painting light." And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, because it looks like Dora." <laughs> it does. Dora the Explorer. No, no swiping. No swiping. Uh, all right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you are all screwed because I'm running Operation Armor over the Armor Fest weekend at the Armor Artillery Museum. When is that? Uh, that is the. Ooh. I keep getting the dates wrong and I don't know why, but if memory serves, it's the 28th. Hang on a second. Right, it's the 27th and the 28th of August. Now, the Armor right. Fest event itself runs for three days. The Bolt Action event runs for two days. Yep. It's a thousand points. It is a... It is a competitive event. However, it is competitive in the spirit of the Australian meta. There you go. Now, we all know that our meta is different to the rest of the world. We're not playing for sheep stations. We're not here to ruin someone's day. So... Strong lists, but again, they will be vetted. They will be vetted thoroughly, and primarily the aim of the day is to have fun. So you know, put together something decent, but you know, be prepared to have it you know readjusted if the TO and the review group feel it's necessary. Yeah, simple as that. Yep. Um. All right. So. Give us the spread, Hari. What did you uh, what did you see rock up? We had what were there? There were predominantly everyone went with Commonwealth. Yep. Um, which is why I had to jump ship halfway through painting the TO list and switch from King Force to Dak, and in the end I just went sod it, I'll finish off the Gebs and get them on the board yep. with a bit of armor. Uh, so we had an LRDG list, or SAS, I forget the details exactly, but that was very flexible, very mobile, as you would expect, um, devoid of armour, but in the hands of a phenomenally skilled player who did a fantastic job. Yeah, Albert's good. Yeah. Genuinely a really good player. Mm, And a really nice guy as well. Um, Yeah, lovely bloke. We had a few Italians... There were two lists, one of which did bad things to me in a pre-event exhibition game. I'm still a bit salty about that. I'll be back next time, Alex. You didn't cook spaghetti where spaghetti should not be cooked. Yeah. The number of times I've sat down and looked at a Semivente and thought, yeah, no, nah, I'm fine. Every goddamn time. But this time, yeah, no, nah, I'm fine. Oh, look, it's a decapitated Panzer four. Wonderful. Gold. Um, the Commonwealth list themselves, not much to write about there. Um, aside from the LRDG list and the South African list, there wasn't really anything that leapt out. As I said, these are relatively new players, and for many of them it was either their first or second bolt-action event. Yep. Um, there were a few listing changes that I... Well, a few lists that... I didn't necessarily agree with. Um, lists that make you go, ooh. It was more lists that made me go, huh? Um, because one of the guys was writing a few lists for a couple of other players, and 
thematically he wanted to the players wanted to use you know captured trucks and so on and you know that's fine we've all done that yeah but to my mind rules wise a truck is a truck yeah 100% so when the list came through it came through with a whole raft of inexperienced vehicles yep and i looked at it and i shot her and you know i queried it and the response was, you know, this is what we're running with. And I'm like, okay, that's all good. I don't have any problems with it. I don't necessarily agree with it, but there's nothing here that is objectionable. And I ended up playing against that list. And again, it... I won't say that it felt uncomfortable, but... Felt uncomfortable. Well, yeah, that list stopped at the... Roughly the 24-inch mark. And didn't really go any further. Everything opened up? No. Um, everything just got bogged down. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I just I kept stacking was... on the pins. Yeah, and... I thought you were going to go in a different direction. I thought he, we just, he got to the 24-inch and then just opened up with his machine guns and just held you back. That's nope. not... Yeah, well, okay. Well, that's... Yeah. It just that's ended up... I, was go. I... Yeah, I managed to bog him down and then just sort of swept, swept around from the uh, right flank and... Just went from there. Um, nice. The German lists, we saw a bit of an interesting mix. Um, one guy actually ran a list of mixed miniatures, which I thought was cool. Um, yep. Mixed in a few uh, Italian paratrooper models. Just ran them as um, Falschmjäger, but for the theme effect, I thought it was great. You know, no, a mixed that's platoon. a really good idea. I've yeah. never considered doing that. That's actually yeah. cool. Like, it... Strike! It was visually striking. Um, yeah. Hang on a second. Oh, oh he's dying. Oh, he's... fucking sinuses are kick my Yeah, ass. hurry, just die in your own time. Come on, hurry. What oh, you shut up. Um, one thing we did see was a German tank platoon that was pulled out of... It was pulled almost in its entirety from the Western Desert. Now, I don't have a problem with that per se, what I do have a problem with is the fact that, as a result of that Western Desert book, we're starting to see, and this is indicative of a lot of campaign books that have followed on, we're starting to see double ups on units, and it's leading to listing bloat. Now, what I mean by that is you're getting unit entries that have the same title but have entirely different mechanics. Yeah. So the example here is the Panzer 3G. It's the light tank with a medium anti-tank gun. Yep. That's as it's written per Armies of Germany V2. Per Western Desert, it's a light anti-tank... It's a, it's a medium anti-tank gun with a reduced penetration capability, so it drops down to a light. Now, that might be more historically accurate for the performance of that particular gun, but I, th I think what, what authors of campaign books have to keep in mind is that the appeal and the quote-unquote genius of bolt action is and has always been that it is so simple to pick up. Yeah. A medium anti-tank gun is the same regardless of what it's attached to. A rifle is a rifle. Yeah, the pain in the bum is that you're what, what we're starting to see, or maybe not what we're starting to see, maybe we've always been seeing it and I'm not aware of it. That's you know highly likely. Is we're we're seeing people trying to just 
squeeze a little bit more nuance out of existing, you know, X, Y, and Z to make mm. it more interesting. And to those people, I say, thank you. You know, we appreciate it. Keep going. But also, you can sort of create problems. Now, I'm not saying that people yeah. should stop doing this entirely. I think it's good, and it's good for the game. And, you know, I think that if people are out there writing books, then I applaud them. I mean, fuck, I'm not writing a book. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, new the amount of out. research and work and effort that goes into it, it's absolutely staggering. Exactly and right. we salute you. But and, you know, there are, there, there are, you know, book authors out there who are secret geniuses. Um, oh, here we go. There are others out there who don't do it as well. But, I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, as long as we're getting new content, well, you know, all good. But, I mean, again, yeah. I, I do take your point, though, that it can be mm. difficult when you start to create inconsistencies. Yeah, I mean, inconsistencies or just variations on mechanics. Yeah. I, I think there's a certain... There has to be a certain realisation that the way person XYZ feels unit ABC should function does not necessarily mean that you need to rewrite that unit entry with rules that reflect that. Yeah. Now, case in point, when Road to Berlin dropped and the Polish Home Army list dropped, I read that list and about 24 hours later fired off an email to Warlord because I had to question why, through the entirety of that list, the Home Army had no access to submachine guns. The response I got... Now, keep in mind, about 20,000 stems were dropped into the Home Army, and they were manufacturing them under the Germans' noses in Warsaw. Yeah, they were also before stealing. and during the uprising. And, yeah, not to mention the ones they captured. Now, the response I got from Warlord was that, and I quote, the author didn't feel they were necessary. If you're going to use quote, you need to do it Dan Carlin style. And here's an excerpt from, uh, from, from an email that I received from Warlord. <laughs> quote, the author didn't see it as being necessary as he didn't feel there were enough in the field. Many were dropped in, but didn't actually make it to front lines. End quote. All right? Yep. That's the way it's done. That's the way I expect okay. it to happen from now on. Dan Carlin. The Dan law has Coates. been laid down. There All right? Go. Dan Carlin is the rule. But, I mean, you see the point. If you feel that something should work way X, Y, Z, that doesn't yep. necessarily make it true. I'm sure yes. there are players out there who think that Tiger Tanks and King Tigers should be absolutely unstoppable wrecking balls. Oh, I've, I've had this. Realistically, yep. yeah, this realistically, a left-hand turn and a sharp jolt can fuck up a transmission bar. So, here's the thing, though. Here's, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Yeah, Unless go on, go the tiger on. is painted white, then it is almost impossible to take out. Oh. Of course, the uh, Russian cinematic masterpiece, <laughs> White Tiger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look, oh, by the standards of how good. shitty some of these modern Russian films are. That one was actually pretty okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, have you seen that Stalingrad film that they did? With the uh, fireproof? Yeah. Um, oh, my God. That was so shit. I'm, I'm <laughs> Honestly, I'm still trying to psych myself up to sit down and watch the uh, cinematic extravaganza that is T-34, where tank shells defy yeah. the laws of physics. <laughs> I think that um, it's... Like, I remember having that argument about Tiger Tanks years ago with a chain of command player where, you know, we were doing a little exhibition game in someone's garage and um, 
Garrett is Garrett was running the the tank war aspect of it. And as Sherman came around the corner, the you know the player rolled hot, got the hit, and then rolled straight sixes and knocked it out. Mm. And this guy, he he was not. Nah, no, nah, wouldn't happen, wouldn't happen, wouldn't happen. It's like, yeah, mate, I understand it wouldn't happen. But you kind of have to make it happen because otherwise every German list just has a tiger and then it just rolls around just doing whatever it wants. It doesn't really yeah. you know, work that way. You've got to have some sort of, you know. But anyway, yeah. no. You know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. But yeah. I do feel ex- caution needs to be exercised. Yes, I agree. Because otherwise the game bloats. Yep. The game gets top-heavy. It gets overly complex, and then it suffers from what I call Warhammer Fantasy Battle Syndrome, which is basically a player sits down, looks at the rules, and goes, "I got to memorize all this." Yeah. Fuck! I'm going for a sub. Yeah. And that's uh, and that's that's the idea. Is like this game should be something that most people can pick up. Yeah. Easy to learn, difficult to master. Yeah, that's, that's exactly the game right. we all know and love. Yeah. So absolutely. You know, I'm not going to say stop adding things, but, you know, just stop and think about it for a while. Yeah. Quest, ask yourself, do we really need a third variation of rule X, Y, Z? Yeah, exactly right. You know? And, you know, running past your gaming group, running past your mates, running past, you know, people who are like-minded. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Can you think of anything that might, you know? Or I'd go the opposite. Run it past people who don't think the way you do. Run it past people who have an entirely different view on the game and get their take on it. So what Hari's saying is that anybody writing anything in the entire history of the world in regards to Bolta, send it all to Hari. He will proofread the <laughs> lot of it. You'll go through it with a time from... And he'll do it for free as well. He'll do it with a smile on his face. And he'll give you a 12-hour turnaround. That's a guarantee. Okay. Jesus, you're putting a time turnaround on me? Fuck. Yeah, in fact, in fact, Hari will even go so far as to say that if he breaks that 12-hour, he will give you 100 Australian dollars. All right, so send everything to Hari. All good. Go for it. No All worries. All of you to man. assume I have 100 Australian dollars. Oh, he's, no, that's right. You work at Iger. Um, oh, yeah. So I've got Australian five dollars. panthers and a tin of mung beans. <laughs> I know someone yeah. will buy a panther off you. Yeah, but... um. I've imposed trade sanctions on that particular person, so no more. That's right. Yeah, I the, the first deposit of the, uh, the Panther the other day in the package. <laughs> that was pretty oh, funny, yeah. actually. Hari uh, forwarded it on uh, some Italians to me, and um, I found the first instalment payment of a Panther in the form of a steel wheel. Yep. <laughs> Brilliant. Best idea I've ever had. Yeah, that was, that was cracking. Oh, I lost my shit. It was hilarious. Yep. All right, so um, give us the bare bones, Hari. What was the uh, how did it how did it end up on the day? So on the day, it was a disgusting twenty eight degrees, and ended up at about ninety something humidity. I, oh, I was drinking water like it was going out of fashion. Yep. Um. Okay. It it was an all round fun weekend. Um, everyone had a great time. It was there was a um, at the end of the first day, we actually had an exclusive uh, guided tour of the museum by Alex, who works at the museum, good friend of mine. Um, that was something absolutely special because 
Alex is um, very aware of the history and the sourcing of a lot of, of the exhibits in the museum. So we were getting levels of information and insight into, you know, the exhibits there that you would never normally get. Normally, right. when you get a tour through a, through a museum, it's, um, you know, the nuts and bolts, you know, they made X amount, they did, you know, this during the, uh, during the war. But yeah, it was absolutely amazing. And some of the stories are just hilarious. Like, there's stuff... <laughs> it's nuts. Um, some of the stories were actually quite horrific. When he was talking about the short 25-pounder, those things were actually quite detrimental to the health of their crews, um, to the point that decrees were passed that you couldn't fire more than eight rounds before you had to have a mandatory break to allow your organs to recover from the concussion. Jesus. Yeah. Um, there's reports of gunners I mean, dropping I... dead from internal bleeding. Um, I, mean, I mean, Sneaky's had that when he sings to people, fucking people dropping dead of internal bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never realised Sneaky was a, a short 25-pounder, but here we are. He's... Uh, he's... He's, he's nothing short about sneaky. Average height. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, we had uh, Jason Drain took out Best Allied. Yeah, he's a really good player. Again, a very, you know, a tough opponent, um, scholar and a gentleman, and, you know, would happily roll dice against him any day of the week, but preferably in less humid conditions, I'm going to be honest. Mm. That was brutal. Um, Bill Davis took out Best Axis. Uh, he ran the German Panzer Three Platoon. Yep. Um, I should have the post somewhere here, but my phone is being an absolute monster and refuses to show me. Alex himself took out Best Painted with his Italians. Lovely. So congratulations there. Yeah, congrats, mate. And... I mean, to pull it with a desert list is always difficult, I feel. Um, Hang on, say that again. To... I'm not saying it. Shut up. What? What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the rest I... of the world has just rolled its eyes at me. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. Sorry. Um, and I'm trying to find the post before I get sidetracked too much the gentleman who won uh best and fairest which is what we called our best sports i feel absolutely terrible that i'm forgetting your name um Morty mcgoodface that guy yeah yep. um yeah no he was a fantastic opponent again um i didn't actually play against him but everyone i spoke to who played him said he was a fantastic guy and again he suffered the unfortunate luck of just having, you know, dice rolls go bad, which, here we go. Right, finally found it. Uh, Gareth. Dice rolls go bad. Yep, Gareth took out our best and fairest. What well I mate. And, again, there was fantastic support from a local business, uh, Wicked Goblin, who don't, um, he donated a huge amount of prize support. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, 
the Warriors Den, Andrew Krarup, donated price support as well. And again, absolutely fantastic. He actually dropped off a uh, Rubicon Tiger 2 kit for Rob, the owner of the museum. So oh, nice. Rob will be very happy with that. Uh, War and Peace Games also came to the table. And again, as they always do, yep. when in doubt, contact War and Peace. They're fantastic. Their prices are a little higher, but they have always been there for the community. And at the end of the day, loyalty gets my dollar. And the biggest thanks of all to the museum themselves. The staff that work there are absolutely fantastic. And without their, you know, tolerance of a bunch of sweaty nerds, we would not be able to have these events there. No, and it's, it's, it's fantastic. And the, the fact you're able to do this, you know, year in, year out, it speaks testament. Sorry, speaks volumes about, you know, your you know committed relationship with these guys Harry. so i mean to you mate well done congratulations on running another successful event there thank you let's hope august is successful as well oh mate if it's anything you know if it's anything like what you just ran i'm sure it will be it'll be fantastic mm. there will be a lot well. more uh social media presence as well because i won't actually be playing in this one um full-time to this time around for armor fest um yep. I'm going to have to be, with the amount of noise that's going to be going on there, Yeah, can't afford distractions. No, no. no. And um, if you can't find me after the event, don't check inside the Panther. Nope. Just don't. Be like, be like, you'll, open up the, you'll open up the hatch. There'll be a, a, sweaty, a sweaty musk will just emanate from it. And in the depths mm. there somehow, these two little eyes fucking looking at you like, what do you want? <laughs> Jesus, that's fucking yeah. that's a haunting visual. You're all about oh. haunting visuals tonight. Mate, I am Captain Haunting Visual. It's yeah, it's a bit goes. disturbing. The way it goes. All right. So, I mean, look, well done, mate. Um, it sounds like it was a fantastic event. Um, you'd be very, very proud. So, I think um, I think that's kind of... That's fucking... That's put a neat little bow on that. I think we'll hit a break because I need to go and get a cup of tea. Sounds um, good. And then when we get back, uh, we'll um, dive back into it. Um, we've got a couple of things on the horizon. Actually, we've got what the hell have we got going on? There was um, there's that escalation league. I actually want to have a chat about. Yeah, yeah, I want to have a chat about the uh, you know um, about what those guys have got going on. Yep. Um, yeah, and then we'll uh, sort of shoot the shit some more, and then park off to bed. But yeah, look, um, we will be right back after these messages. Sounds um, good. Just uh, just what? a quick heads up. Um. Listeners, you'll want to come back after the break um, in case you're thinking of shooting through because uh, I think this uh, will have a bit of an interview as oh. well. Uh, what? Yeah, yeah. We do? We, um, we do, we do. We um, have an interview with uh, Santa from May 40 Miniatures. Fantastic. So, um, stay tuned for that one after the break and then uh, make sure to stay out after that one for some more usual cheesy, cheesy goodness. Cheesy right. chat. <laughs> Some cheesy ASMR. <laughs> we are now going to a break. Nah, it's even worse when you do it. All right, no, no more of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Back off of this. Time. <laughs> we want to take a quick break and give a shout out to our good mates at Kaiju Beer. Kaiju is an award-winning independent beer and cider brewery based in Melbourne. Founded in 2013 by brothers Nat and Callum Reeves, the duo set out to brew an unashamedly intense beer and cider without compromising taste and quality. 
Looking to shake up an overly serious scene surrounding craft beer culture, you'll spot kaiju on the shelves with the bold, loud, and unusual can designs. Check them out on the Insta, at Kaiju Beer, or spot them at a bottle shop or bar near you. Kaiju! And welcome back, listeners. Uh, you're here with the Wild Blue Cheese Rubes. Uh, I'm joined by one of our international bacon burgers, um, Swedish Cheese, a.k.a. Jacob. How are we doing, Jacob? Howdy, folks. Uh, we're doing great, actually. Um, uh, we're working on some bolt action, putting together some figure figures, uh, testing out some quick methods of painting. So, yeah, actually getting to put some paint on uh, some Americans that have been uh, locked away in the closet for about seven years. So that's good. So we're all good here. Nice, nice. And uh, we're joined by a very special guest. Um, we're uh, now our guest um, originates from uh, the Netherlands and um, has been producing quite um, quite some very attractive miniatures. So I'd like to welcome Sander from May Forty Miniatures to the show. Welcome, Sander. Thank you for having me. No, it's our pleasure. Our pleasure. Now, um. I was introduced to your miniatures by a mutual friend of ours, Akhtar, down in Tasmania. Um, yeah, the, the little green giraffe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, um, <laughs> he pointed out your, the one. your uh, um, Dutch Kickstarter when that was up, and I saw that along, and um, it filled a nice little gap in my collection, and I, I just had to jump on board. Um I suppose, uh, would you like to tell listeners a little bit about yourself and um, how you got into the industry, I guess? Um, yeah, um, 43 years old, three kids, wife, house, a day job. Um, and been in board gaming on and off for like 25 years now, starting out with Warhammer, 40k. And, yeah, later on, uh, some historicals. Um, That's pretty much how most uh, gamers seem to go, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, still remember my first dwarf from Warhammer. I think it was four metal dwarfs for, like, 17 guilders at the time, which would be now, like, 7 euro 50. Uh, that's not happening anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. Long time ago. Yeah, so, um, so what made you, uh, get into producing miniatures? Well, there's actually two reasons. The first one would be wanting to have a Dutch army for uh, bolt action or chain of command or that, that kind of rules um, which weren't available and the other reason is one of my relatives was killed in action in 1940 defending the Netherlands against the Germans so yeah one and one makes two no miniatures uh, I want them so let's see what we can do Enough, yeah. It's, um, I can 
clearly see with, uh, especially with your, your Dutch range, um, it is very much a project of passion. Um, I can see a lot of effort has gone into getting um, the miniatures just right with the correct equipment, correct uniforms, and um, which is really good to see because it's, I, I suppose, early war isn't um, isn't something a lot of gamers tend to focus on. It tends to be later on with all the bells and whistles, so to speak, all the fancy toys. Yeah. But um, the original or the early uh, years of the war and um, uh, I've always been a personal interest of mine, um, especially when it comes to collecting um, vehicles and, and uh, models. Um, so it's it's a, a nice little uh, era that most people don't often see. So it's fantastic to see uh, the Dutch um, being represented in miniature form. Um, and clearly it's it's got... Um, Got a deeper meaning uh, for yourself, which always um, always uh, translates into um, in just extra care and effort being put into producing a, a great quality product. Yeah, yeah. The reason uh, uh, just I, that I, details have to be correct, and so everything has to be correct as mm. long and as far as you can go in twenty eight mil. Yeah, yep. yeah. It, it, it's really interesting also because I think like um, early war period, uh, there is a lot of focus on uh, France, but there isn't as much focus, I think, on Belgium and uh, Holland and the fighting that actually took place there. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, so it's, it's, it's very, it's very interesting to see. It's very interesting to see the miniatures and to to actually get that kind of army and context onto uh, the tabletop as well. Yeah. Well, the, the weird thing is um, the armies that are put together on table um, actually perform pretty well. So either the rules are a bit in favor of the Dutch, or the army was just <laughs> uh, good. You know what I mean? Mm. The thing I, I like is that um, no, I jumped on the Kickstarter when that when uh, when it was running, and I got a platoon of Dutch, and I got a platoon of the um, early war uh, Falschermjäger. But um, yeah. at, prior to that, I didn't know a great deal about the. Um, the uh, campaign um, in 1940 and it actually led to me doing a lot more reading and research especially about uniforms and the equipment especially when it comes to uh, I suppose a hobby side of it and painting and getting the right colors for uniforms and and the like and um, interesting thing I found about uh, about um, Holland in 1940 is that the vast majority of equipment and armor was actually sent across to uh, Dutch East Indies um, to protect the um, the holdings in, in the Far East, which I found very interesting. Uh, that's partly true, because the Netherlands and the then Dutch East Indies were sort of two different governments. So the Dutch army over here bought their own stuff, and the Knil ordered what they wanted to have and needed. So 
in respect to armaments and stuff, they differ very much. Mm. Because the, the Knill bought different armored cars, more, way more, because, well, the East Indies were the moneymaker, so we had to protect, protect it. And over here, we were neutral and not expecting an attack. Mm. In retrospect, very stupid, but yeah, it is what it is. I suppose um, when when a country declares neutrality, they uh, somewhat expect that to be upheld. Um, I would hope that it would be upheld too, I suppose. Um, which yeah, as it was in World War One. So yeah, um, which is fair enough because no one no one wants to be involved in uh, you know, in conflict unnecessarily. Um, so I can under definitely understand governments um, trying to av do everything they can to avoid that conflict. Yeah. Um, so, but it's also it's also it's also quite interesting the the Dutch actually being um, sort of a minor nation uh, in a way, but also having like you have the possibility of playing uh, against sort of a Japanese force or actually playing with Dutch, uh, the Dutch army um, against the German, uh, a German opponent or, or the, it's the, there aren't that many armies, I think, that actually had um, uh, army contingencies in both the, uh, the Asian or the Pacific theater as well as as the European in that way, especially not the minor nations. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so bolt action terms, yeah, I, I can't think of many of the other nations that uh, or what are considered the minor nations in the game that um, do have that world-spanning um, uh, involvement. Australia is one of the other ones being, uh, uh, having seen service in North Africa and Mediterranean and then back uh, in the Pacific, in the defense of Australia. Um, I mean, the big, yep. the big four or five uh, that you see cons uh, consistently on the tabletop, obviously uh, span, for the most part, span the globe of Britain, United States, um, span, obviously, the uh, the world when it comes to theaters of operations. Um, but, yeah, most of the other nations um, are, are very... Uh, sort of specific or centralized to, to their sort of home theater. And now speaking of the, the uh, Knil, um, I believe uh, you've been doing some work on a new line, Sander. Yeah, true. Um, <laughs> it's been an ongoing thing for like two years now, having mentioned at some point wanting to do Knil. Um, and then, yeah, COVID happened. And other stuff happened, so yeah, it got delayed and delayed and more delayed. Uh, no, it's good to see some progress now. So, um, what sort of thought process goes into designing uh, a line of miniatures? Um, for me, mainly it's historical facts, photographs, and uh, uniform uh, regulations and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, looking at what rules 
there are available and how they would fit in. So, mm-hmm. yeah, looking at bold action again, um, trying to adapt uh, the rules so my miniatures fit, which is hard because the bold action list is incorrect. Yeah. There's a lot of mistakes in it. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, a lot. It's a it's a thing with a lot of rule sets. Is it it kind of goes for functionality on the tabletop as opposed to yeah. um, exactly uh, how it was or um, force organizations were um, yeah. at the time. So about, that's um, one thing with the Dutch I did was 12 miniatures per squad instead of 10 like in most rule sets. Yeah, because uh, the Dutch squad was 11 to 12 men. I always found that interesting that, um, that yeah, a lot of countries used different numbers for their standard squads and yet in a lot of rule sets that you see out there um, the default seems to be 10. It's kind of a an interesting um, interesting sort of take that it's sort of been it's across a lot of rule sets it's not just bolt action uh, that the default size for a squad is 10, 10 uh, soldiers yeah don't know who came up with it but <laughs> <laughs> everyone seems to have just accepted our oh, squad equals 10 um yeah, yeah I, i've actually built um 19 a 1939 1940 german platoon um just regular infantry and i, I still put um i've built the 1939 platoon to have 13 men per squad um okay the rules uh bolt action rules don't allow for that but in during the invasion of poland the, the germans would run 13 men in their squad yeah. and then dropped it back to uh to 10 um for the 1940 campaign uh, but i've got the miniatures set set up in a way that i could run a one-to-one um, platoon um, including cool. the the horse-drawn supply wagon um, which doesn't doesn't do too much in bolt action except give you an extra order dice but um and provide a an easy target for your opponent but um <laughs> yeah again it's the the rule sets uh, i suppose going for functionality over um 100 accuracy or historical accuracy so yeah. when it comes to actually designing the miniatures uh, beyond uh making sure it's got the correct uniform or equipment uh, how do you decide what poses or um, what sort of configurations you put the uh, the actual individual miniatures into? Um, that's an easy one. Uh, Michael, the the sculptor, uh, well, he has a lot of leeway. I I, I tell him or I give him a list. I I want this, this, and this. That many with a rifle, that many with a uh, Lewis gun, and so on. And well, he he has added. He just so, makes a bunch and then we'll sort them out. And he says, chuck anything you don't like out. Mm, that's not happened yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, having seen uh, the quality of his work, I can see how it's easy not to uh, want to throw any of uh, the sculpts out. Um, is there anything that you kind of look at in particular with uh, you want? certain number of squads that are advancing or kneeling or firing or at ease is, is that sort of form part of the thought process though when um, designing a range 
Yeah, not for the, 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 let's call them regular miniatures, like those with a rifle, but support units and machine gunners and that kind of stuff. I normally want four or five different poses. Uh, prone, kneeling, firing, you know, yeah, and different versions. Most, That's one thing most I what about. I see is, is, is only firing, but so much more happens during a battle. You're not always firing, so yeah. That's one thing. I and I think moving miniatures have more character than just one firing. I think. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's one thing I really liked about the um, your early war Falschmager line is is like the mortar squads redeploying in particular because you, you you rarely see that the usually the default is firing, um, but uh, you, you had. A mortar squad redeploying. You had a um, an MMG squad uh, redeploying, which uh, was two men carrying the, the machine gun on the the tripod, which was really nice. Um, and it's based on a historical photo. Yeah, yep. And I think that's one thing that gets overlooked a lot when it comes to miniatures is that um, that uh, most things sort of end up being very static for the tabletop because we all imagine our um, miniatures in that, you know, set up position with the machine gun firing away. But the reality is it's, uh, especially in World War II, there was a lot of fire and maneuver. Um, Unfortunately, we see a lot of uh, poses, I suppose, in the firing, but not a lot of the maneuvering, so to speak. I think that's a bit of a trap that sometimes... Like sculpting and miniature making gets like falls into that it's everyone wants like an action pose kind of thing. That's what everyone sort of sees in their mind's eye. But once you actually get into it, you kind of want different poses. You want people redeploying. You want people doing stuff because you want to be able to have a, like a dynamic uh, feeling too. Uh, your force. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it adds some character on the tabletop too. No matter what rule set you play, that if you've got something that stands out a bit different, yeah, you know, it's a it's a mortar squad redeploying. It's a, a MMG team um, getting into position. Um, it adds a lot more character and story to to uh, your tabletop uh, army. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, it's in chain of command that you have to redeploy stuff and sort of have to, well, pack the gun and move. Yeah, yep. So you can either use the firing one when it's actually firing, and when you're redeploying, you switch out that set and put in a moving one. I really yeah. like that. I've, um, yeah, it's it's always looked funny on the tabletop to me when you you're moving a squad and it's um, they're on a firing pose or um, they're they're not really animated enough. And I suppose it's it comes from we use when we game we use toy f- uh, figures that are inanimate objects. <laughs> they're not actually moving, but it is. Yeah, it's kind of cool to be able to swap them out to a. Uh, squad that's going to redeploy or you know 
a crew that's packed their um their team weapon up and uh, are on the move. It's um it's a nice little nice little uh, bit of icing on the cake. It's just to create that story on the tabletop, I guess. Yeah, that's how I I also try to package them. So if you have a, a machine gun that's moving, well, most of the miniatures that go with it have a sort of moving pose. And if you want a squad with a firing machine gun, then the other guys are either kneeling or prone or firing. Yeah, it's, it's so that makes a pet or a blister have the same sort of meanings in it. All different poses, but doing the same thing. That's one thing that I've always found interesting with um, with other manufacturers over the years is that they might sell a squad a blister of a squad pack, but you might have uh, a couple of guys running forward with bayonets, and you might have some prone firing. You might have someone reloading, and it, it kind of gives a bit of a um, an overview of what a squad might do, but it, it doesn't really link the squad together, so to speak. Because um, if everyone's taking a position and firing, then you're not going to have too many guys running forward with the bayonets leveled type thing <laughs> at the same time. I mean, of, of course, there are, yes, yes. there are rule sets out there that... Um, break squads down further into um, smaller teams. So I think Chain Command is one where you might have a, a rifle se- uh, section, machine gun section, and that, they'll obviously be doing separate things, one putting down fire and the other one manoeuvring. But um, even so, it, uh, I always find those, those squads that you get out there that have a mix of um, animation, I suppose, is for want of a better term, um, sometimes seem a little odd on the tabletop. Yeah. Uh, if I can circle back a little bit, Sanders, you were talking about the uniforms uh, and uh, getting the accuracy right. How do you do like the background research? How do you find um, like how do you find what uniforms they used and all all of this equipment and all so to get the accuracy. I've also mentioned that you uh, based uh, some of the miniatures on actual photos. Uh, and is that from archives or how do you get go about that? Uh, yeah, mostly, well, doing internet research, to be honest. But I also have connections with people who did actual research in archives who found photographs and, and that kind of stuff. There's surprisingly a lot of books about the subject. They are all in Dutch, so that's a bit of a, a thing for someone else wanting to play Dutch who doesn't speak Dutch. <laughs> but there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff around. And... Um, Things did get recorded. There's regulations still available from the time. Uh, manuals. There's even fabric. Fabric. Um, how do you call that? Pieces left over from then. From factory uh, pieces. So there's still a lot of stuff around. And we base them on, on, on those. 
I own uh, a replica uniform or three um, because I also do reenactment. So I, I, well, not in the COVID period, but I, I wear the uniform, not a real one, but a, a replica. I have a rifle, a carbine, all the bits and pieces that go with it. So yeah, it's 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 more than just a hobby, really. It's it's more hobbies, and it's yeah, it's a big big thing, I think. <laughs> so the reenactment side of it um, really helps to get an understanding too of of how the equipment was worn and how it felt and and how it would sit. So I suppose that that leads to uh, a working knowledge, so to speak, of um, for that accuracy to get the you know the webbing uh, position right and to get the you know the yep. ammo boxes sitting in the right position that uh, the soldiers of the time would have worn them. Um, particularly if it was common to wear equipment slightly different to, I suppose, what was regulation um, as True. soldiers yep. tend tend to do is. They find something a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more tolerable when they're in the field, and and sort of make those field modifications, I suppose. So, yeah, that reenactment that's that's really interesting to hear um, uh, about um, about that leading into some of, of your um, research, so to speak, of, of for accuracy. Um, and myself having done World War Two reenacting as well, um, yeah, I understand that the, the whole. Um, it's, it's one thing to, to look at a book and see a picture, but it's another thing to actually don the equipment and, and feel um, how it was worn and um, how it moves. And uh, yeah, it gives another level to that understanding of um, of, of that accuracy, especially for, for uh, making the miniatures look just right. Yeah. I had... Uh... Uh, I posted something about the knill, I think, two days ago or three days ago. Uh, uh, one miniature with his head differently than from what was known to be knill and known to be regulation. Um, so I got a comment about it uh, saying, well, the head's wrong. It should be so and so and so. So I, show, I posted a picture. Of a squad of, I think, 13, 14 soldiers. And I think five or six different ways of wearing the hat. Mm, mm. Yeah, was... So that there's stuff people think and know from books and there's stuff that happened. Yeah, it's, um, uh, what's in the textbook isn't, isn't often what happens in the real world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, um, in in the Netherlands, is there a big uh, reenactment scene, or is there a, a, a big drive for, um, I suppose, remembrance uh, around nineteen forty? Um, there's, um, I think, forty to fifty people max doing Dutch nineteen forty reenactment. And they're divided over four or five groups, I think. Mm -hmm. Because you, you said you've you've got experience in reenacting. Yeah. And you probably yeah. have experience with how groups function and don't function. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So there's now four or five groups doing Dutch because of, well, yeah, not functioning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, the reenactment world is an in- is quite uh, interesting, shall we say, with um, with how it often runs. Um, yeah. The funny thing is, for for Remembrance Day, um, people do tend to set aside differences. So uh, the 4th of May was the National Remembrance Day. And I think there were, we were with 15 guys, I think, from three or four different groups. Oh, yeah. You don't have to like each other, but you're not for, you're not there for you. You're there for what happened and for those that died mm. and relatives exactly. that still alive. So, yeah. Yep. No, that's, it's good to hear that um, internal politics can be set aside for, for the greater good, so to speak, um, for coming together and commemorating or remembering um, you know, those that uh, went before us and what they went through. Yeah. Now was the first time in two years that we were able to do it. Mm. So, yeah, that was, the, yeah, right. Yeah, so um, circling back a bit to the canal that you mentioned, um, yeah, so you've you've put up some pictures on uh, or progress pictures on Facebook recently, and I gotta say they've certainly piqued my interest. Um, is there any particular timeline you're looking at um, for when they become available? Um, hoping, and that's yeah, hoping the. Uh, end of the year but that's <laughs> i said that about the false america as well and they took a bit longer to get released so yeah there's, there's only just 16 miniatures now and we're looking at at least 100 again very nice it sounds like it's going to be uh, a at least. fairly complete range um... yeah and that's actually only infantry and maybe some marines and then there's cavalry and there's vehicles and well, there's more than just a hundred. Very nice. Um, because the, when you do cavalry, you want them on horseback and you want them dismounted. So that's double the miniatures. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the um, the Knills campaigns in, um, in the Dutch East Indies um, is another one that's probably not as well known Um for for various reasons, I guess, um, but it still has a, a a bit of an Australian connection. I believe a lot of the Canil, um, quite a few ended up in Australia. I believe. Um, yep. After the and we're trained there in in more modern techniques and stuff. Yeah, there's um, I believe it was a, a Dutch uh, Navy ship that ended up uh, making it back to Australia as well. That. Um, you often see posted on Facebook it travelled by night and um, camouflaged by day, which was quite an yeah. interesting story. It's, um, so yeah, yeah. there's a picture where the the ship is covered with all kinds of leaves and trees and stuff. Yeah, and it, it wasn't a little boat either. <laughs> it was no, it was, it was <laughs> um, quite impressive that the amount of camouflage and the amount of foliage that the crew were able to put on the ship during the day to to disguise it. Um, until it made its way back to Australia. 
Um, yeah. So, yeah, so there's a bit of a, a connection there, for especially for our Australian listeners, that um, a little bit of history that uh, over here probably doesn't um, probably doesn't see mainstream um, exposure, but something our listeners might be more interested uh, in listen, uh, looking into um, in the near future, especially with the new line um, being worked on, which is, is quite exciting. Yeah, I hope that uh, it goes as I hope it goes. It means in, in terms of how many miniatures and poses and stuff. Not even thinking about who wants to buy something like this, but that's, that's not even the main goal. It's, it maybe sounds weird, but it's it's not. Yeah, sure. I, I need to sell miniatures to keep going and make more stuff. But yeah, yeah, it's not the main goal. No, and again, I have a day job. I am in the army. I'm doing all kinds of other stuff, and this is, uh, yeah, because I like it and I want to do it. Yeah, again, that shows it's a it's a project of passion. That um, um, there are some out there that will, I suppose, fire and forget. Um, is I suppose a, a way of putting it. Um, that they in join the industry to make some money, but no, it's it's really good to see, um, you know, a passion project like this coming to life. Um, and and spreading uh, it helps to spread interest and and information about um, unfortunately what can often be overlooked um, aspects of history um, in the mainstream, I suppose. Yeah. Well, what you told us uh, in the beginning, when you 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 got your Dutch and Falschemjäger, you got interested in the subject and started reading more. Yeah, yeah, well, definitely. Uh, I mean, objective accomplished. <laughs> when, yeah, when the, um, the the miniatures arrived, I mean, the first dilemma I suppose I faced was, well, these are really nice miniatures. Now, how do I paint them, and what colours do I use? Um, I really hadn't seen um, any pictures of, or colour pictures of, of Dutch uniforms, uh, prior to that, so it got me, um, uh, jumping on Google and, um, seeing what pictures I could find and what painting guides I could find and what information I could find, you know, colours of webbing and colours of boots and, yeah, interesting little, uh, odds and ends like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I also most most pictures are grey, black and white. Yeah, yeah, it's very hard to find color pictures from the from the period. Yeah, and those yeah. those black and white pictures that get colored nowadays, they they are getting better, but they're not always reliable. Yeah, I suppose the uh, but this... the colors are sometimes interpreted by um, who's doing the colorization rather than based off of actual um, original colors. Yeah. Yeah, and, and one problem is all the original uniforms you can base your colors on, well, they're 80 years old. So the original color is different. Yeah. And it depended on which factory made the color. Okay, there was a... Uh, total or, or max variance uniform colors could be in 
So like, it's not like Fifty Shades of Grey. There, there's a limit, but they were not not always the same. There are differences. So painting Dutch is actually quite easy. You base it on a slightly bluer German field grey, and then you're done. Make them as dark as light as you want. Mm, of course. Material uh, worn in the field's gonna wear when it's exposed to the sun and the rain and the other elements too. I yep. suppose. True. And there were. Uh, I really. Uh, yeah. I really think this also brings up a very interesting point: is that when someone has like a a, a project of passion and and brings uh, this to uh, to this uh, miniature industry and actually makes miniatures that then uh, gets put out in in public so to say uh, other people pick them up and actually start uh, becoming interesting in the history and the stories behind it and i mean i wouldn't have found out about this uh, dutch boat being camouflaged uh, in leaves and trees halfway around the world if it wasn't for this podcast or if it wasn't for the May 40 miniatures and, and actually talking about this. So it's very interesting how sometimes overlooked history is actually brought to life by these kinds of projects. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, like I said, as I discussed, yeah, it certainly got my interest up. Um, all right, Sanders, so if, if someone's looking to, um, the view or purchase um, some of your miniatures, where would they go? Um, for Australia in particular, uh, well, there, there's no retailer over there yet. I've been trying to find someone and there's a prospect. But yeah, shipping and well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> almost, uh, yeah. You have to sell a liver or something to ship stuff uh, nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, COVID's kind of uh, yeah made uh, shipping a little bit more costly. But um, so the, uh, so uh, the for Facebook now it's page, it's mainly a direct sales. Yeah. Um, so the Facebook page, um, if someone would would like to find uh, you on Facebook, where would they go? Uh, yeah, well, May May Forty Miniatures. If you type it in, you'll uh, it should pop up. Uh, definitely, definitely well uh, worth checking out, listeners. Um, you'll see, uh, I've been following the page, um, and you'll see um, some of the tidbits of the upcoming Knill. Um, Sanders also, you've also put up quite a few posts recently um, with history behind the um, the events in in uh, 1940 as well, which uh, again, as we've discussed, goes towards that uh, getting a better understanding for history that we may not see in all the books um, as, as much. Um, it really uh, highlights another aspect of, of what happened that a lot of people weren't aware of. Yeah, I've been trying to do that every year, but that's uh, not easy. So I've I've actually decided to do to post those things uh, every other year because I only posted like three or four items this year. 
Um, and last year there were at least 20 messages of army messages and stuff that happened. Mm. Mm. And those are actual uh, uh, army telegrams. First bit is in Dutch, and then I translated it in English. Yeah, it's um, very much appreciated for the translations. Um, I must must admit, my my Dutch is is very, very, very minimal, um, and I suppose that's that's one hurdle that um, that people uh, whose primary English uh, language is English um, kind of face too is uh, non. English speaking or, or non-primary English speaking countries um, is, is reading some of that material. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of countries in Europe that have um, books and all sorts of things uh, available locally um, detailing some of the the lesser known aspects to World War Two. but um, unfortunately uh, for people like myself who really can only speak and read English, um, we kind of miss out a bit there, I, I suppose. Yeah, well, the problem is this, this subject. It's, 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 not, um, uh, it's not the big picture. It's just a small bit of the war. Yeah. And only the, uh, the bit on the front. Yeah, it's um, and and personally, I I find those the the smaller stories, so to speak, not the smaller, but what are what are made to be smaller in I suppose English speaking histories, um, to be the most interesting. Um, I suppose a lot of uh, that stuff doesn't get exposure because it isn't English based, um, and therefore it's kind of I suppose more niche in the English speaking world, but. Some of those stories are some of the most interesting uh, stories um, that we unfortunately just don't hear enough about. But um, so yeah, so thank you for putting up the those his, the posts about what happened and the actual telegrams and and dispatches and things like that because it it helps um, it helps to to get an understanding of of uh, a part of history that isn't. Um, necessarily is well covered in the English speaking world unfortunately. Yeah. And it's 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 also there to well it you you can't actually feel what those people went through but it it gives you a a, a small insight. Yeah, yeah. What happened and why things happened and well yeah. Yeah. How the Germans came to actually attack, and well, like, like the major that was in um, in in Germany, a Dutch major. He he was not an actual spy, but he was sending messages home, explaining and telling and warning the the Dutch the, the government. Well, uh, watch out, uh, something's gonna gonna happen, and he wasn't believed. Actually, he wasn't believed until the last day when the Germans came over the border. So, mm. yeah, frustrating. Because uh, in hindsight, the facts were there. Yeah, I, I suppose it goes back to, um, I suppose the country having declared neutrality. Um, it's 
would have rightly so, I suppose, believed that the neutrality would have been respected as it had been in the previous war. Um, so I can, I can to some extent understand how that came about with, uh, with the government going, well, we're neutral, we're not getting involved in this. Um, there are rules around neutrality, um, so that's where we'll, we'll sit. We're not going to do anything that's, I suppose, going to provoke um, any aggression. No. Uh, there were signs. I mean, if you if you read all the the books about uh, the Dutch eventually finally buying more and more weapons because there was a feeling of hmm, you know, but weapons weren't delivered because they were either ordered from Germany or ordered from other countries. Um, that had to uh, deliver their stuff through Germany or German-controlled territory. Um, many weapons were just not delivered. One, one thing I found interesting when I started looking into the Dutch army was the use of um, artillery that had been made in like the 1880s. The, um, what was the H-Stahl or similar um, in particular? Uh, the, uh, yes, that that's the that's one there was a it's called a six felt which means six field which was a field gun but was used as an anti-tank gun and not really suitable for that role but okay um but we also had quite some modern stuff the the 47 millimeter uh bowler the Austrian-made gun. That I'm not sure if it happened, but the the characteristics of the gun and the shells were so that they could have at least damaged or even hold a Panzer IV. Wow! If you hit it at the right spot. Mm. But definitely the the older tanks, the the one and the two and the three. The interesting story I came across um, doing a bit of reading was about the the older guns uh, being emplaced. Um, there was twelve of the old uh, the old breech loading black powder type weapons were um, emplaced as a defensive um, position and actually held up a Panzer column for quite some time, um, which is just uh, mind blowing that equipment that by that time was already sixty plus years old, uh, was hold, holding up uh, what was considered uh, almost groundbreaking um, and modern equipment at the time. Um, I suppose that also um, goes a long way to, to show the, the Dutch fighting spirit at the time that, um, you know, defending, defending uh, their country, um, that they were uh, put up such a stiff resistance at times with, with such outdated equipment often. Yeah, well, yeah, like I said, not not everything was outdated. There was uh, quite a lot of modern stuff, mm. only not as many as you would want. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, the... the like the 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 seventy five millimeter guns, uh, those were World War One or earlier type guns, but they were um, at some point improved and modif modified. 
-hmm. and these held up very well. And one of the the the, the facts is that most artillery was um, aimed in, so there was a, a grid pattern, and artillery support could be called in, aim at that and that uh, grid and fire. So that's one of the things the Dutch army did very well, use of artillery. Uh, we might um, wrap it up there. It is uh, 20 past three in the morning here in Australia at the moment. <laughs> Sander, um, thank you very much for coming on. It's been fantastic having you on the show. Um, listeners, uh, head across to May 40 Miniatures on Facebook and have a look at um, at the site there and all the fantastic uh, miniatures that will be up and coming hopefully by the end of the year, as Sander's pointed out. Um, check out the May 40 Miniatures uh, website to have a look at some of the existing ranges, the, the Falschermjäger and the Dutch Army. Um, and speaking from personal experience, I can recommend that these are very uh, nice miniatures um, and add a nice little uh, flair on your tabletop um, if you're interested in early war. Thank you so much. <laughs> No worries, and um, hopefully we will talk again soon. And uh, yeah, I will. Uh, we'll have a discussion when your uh, canoe are ready to go, because uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, adding a platoon to um, my shelves here. <laughs> Thank you, Sandra. Cool. Uh, and uh, listeners, uh, we'll be back. Um, there'll be a bit of a break, and uh, we'll be back to the regular show after this. War and Peace Games are Australia's best supplier of all your hobby needs, wants and must-haves. Operating out of Sydney, Ian and the crew boast a large selection of gaming systems, including Bolt Action, Flames of War, Frostgrave, Oathmark and many more. They also stock an incredible range of hobby supplies from Army Painter and Vallejo to get your army looking its best for the tabletop. Give the guys a call or check out the amazing range at www.warandpeacegames.com.au Great success! We are back for my glorious benefit of podcast Bacon Burgers, complete with uh, Man with Beard, Man with Beard, Man with Beard, and Man with Beard. It's for like, Man with Beard. Welcome I back. Like, I like Beard. I like <laughs> you. Nice. <laughs> Fuck me. Oh, that was even better than I could have hoped. It right, was. Okay, um, that's me getting done for uh, hate crimes. Yeah. <laughs> Some really, really uh, sensitive material you did then. That was very, very good. Oh, yeah. You know, properly appropriate in all ways. Always. Yeah. Um, <sighs> so, uh, good interview. Well done, boys. Um, I think that uh, one thing we are just going to mention quickly for Melbourne players, this is going to be a little bit Melbourne-centric. Um, out in Melbourne Southeast, they're starting to run... Uh, there's a gaming club that's popped up out there, and they're going to be running a little Wii Escalation League. Now, I'm very excited about this because it's on my side of town. I might go along. Take Garrett with me and we'll go and have some fun. So, Sneaky, you want to come to an Escalation League? Probably a bit far. Uh, it's probably a little bit out of my way. Yeah, fair enough. But, um, yeah, a little 500-pointer. I think that should be a lot of fun. So, um, Aaron Cattle, if you're listening, I'm looking at you, son. Uh, I hope to see you there. Now, there's a name I've not seen in a long time. Oh, that reminds me. Obi Wan's dropped. All right, I'll see you. Later. I'll see you guys later. See you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the uh, group hosting the uh, Escalation League are the Miscast Misfits. 
Yep. Uh, out in Lindbrook, uh, operating out of the uh, Lindbrook Community Centre, I believe. Mm. Um, I think uh, we're having a quick chat to Todd uh, via Facebook earlier on. Um, and they're kicking off, uh, I think he said 1st of July, didn't he? Yep. Yeah. Um, That'd be well good fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of... Looks quite tidy. Backing them now cause, if it wasn't uh, so far away, I'd get down for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's annoying was, for you, uh, in it, really close. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, you better sell the house up in Inglewood and move back down, mate. Come on. Fire up. <laughs> so, a uh, 500 point escalation. Tristan, what are you thinking of taking? Um, well, I mean, it's going to be Paris because the only thing I've actually got painted at the moment. Um, yeah, that's fair. You know, I could take. Uh, I've, I've literally got. Um, I'm just putting the finishing touches on my first uh, six DAC models. But, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, DAC a DAC. Four little squads of infantry. Um, uh, take a mortar, sniper, recce jeep, uh, LT, and uh, I did take the free RD observer, but you guys cracked the shits. You know, maybe rightly so. But what I've done is I've said, look, you know, how about this? I'll take it. And that's all there is to it. No, I said I will take it, and I will either use it to drop smoke, or if my opponent takes a similar free unit, then happy days, I'm just going to launch into it with gusto. Thoughts? Mm. You know, look, I think that's fair. Um, personally, I've always taken a somewhat sceptical view of free units in 500 points. Yeah. I don't really think they're necessary. I understand the desire to want them in there. Like, that's, you know, I get that. Well, the, I mean, here's, here's my argument for that, is every other, like, say the British, they're still going to get their national rules, and so will the Russians, and so will everyone else. Yeah. Um, yeah, that free RD observer is part of my national rules. I shouldn't have said the British. That's what, and the Americans, I meant Americans. But, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where, well, yeah. you know, that, they get that, so why, you know, why can't I use mine? I understand a free unit's powerful. Um. Mm. It's one of those things, though. Yeah. I mean, as you say, the Russians will get their free units, so they will have that free rifle squad bombing around. So, yeah, yeah on paper, yeah, fair enough. Have at it. Rubes will rock up and bring all of the fucking free French that he can. <laughs> free squad and free medium howitzer. Nice. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. I'm like, you know what? Um, it's not that big a deal. Um. And yeah, if I'm playing somebody who's new to it and, you know, they're just going to run, you know, something relatively easy, then, you know, fuck it, I'll just use the drop smoke. Mm. Now, it's an Escalation League, so presumably at 500 points, we're not going to be seeing any anything resembling armour. No. So, Airborne Jeep? Yeah, I took the Recce Jeep. Um, it's good for anti-infantry, can sort of zip around and do whatever you want it to do. Yeah. Handy bit of gear. Um... Yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting being an escalation league. I believe they're going to escalate it from 500. They're going to go immediately to 3,000 points, which will be a bit of fun. Um, and then the sky's the limit. I'm pretty sure they're just going to go straight Sorry. to 9,000. <laughs> Was the sun in my ear? No, no. <laughs> the sun in your ear. Nice. Um, no, I don't know what they're going to go to. They'll probably go 500, 750, and then sort of just chalk it up from there. So it'll be, it, you know, it'll be a pretty standard sort of league. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun. Um, mm. You know, just sort of good to go down there and roll dice with new faces and, um, yeah, just fuck about, really. 
Yeah, yeah I, think, and I, I like the fact that I've actually got a gaming club that's relatively close to me, which is nice. Mm. Yeah, that's that always an upside. Yeah, oh, you know, I, I leave Cranbourne and a year later, some bright spark down there decides to run a gaming group. I'm like, you fucking... Because Limbrook, that was really close to where I used to live. Not ridiculously close. So that's all right. Mm. Pretty sure they're just doing it to mess with me, but that's fine. I'll fucking take it on the chin. <laughs> yeah, you don't sound salty about it at all. No, nah, not salty at all. No, no, I'm all good. I'm all good. So what else? Anyone else got anything going on? Anyone know of any events going on? Because there's fucking no events going on in Melbourne at the moment. We hit Conquest um, and the wheels fell off. I, I, I can't find a venue. <laughs> not, no, it's not a joke. That's not me, me taking the piss. I can't find a venue to run in a... Like, any of any any venue that I can find is too far out of the city. I think Bradley... In a major it. population centre in Australia, there is a venue somewhere. I mean, for God's sake, I outsourced to Cairns and I still found a venue. Yes. Yeah, I can find you a venue... But basically what would happen is I'd have to charge my players forty to fifty dollars a head to make it feasible. And then I got and yeah. then that's, that all goes to the venue. Yeah, no, I see your point. I mean we charged hundred and thirty five for Sandstorm and that makes sense, Well, it does. There were a few people who were, you know, a little bit put off by that, but at the end of the day, what you were getting is a full experience. So, you know, take it as it is. I think it's one of those things, man. Like, I mean, it's like if I, I mean, honestly, if I wasn't going to the UK this year, I would have maybe made a play to do that. The funny thing was that recently my wife went to Port Douglas. Yeah. Uh, for a holiday and was actually sending me photos of the Cairns Armour Museum. Like, oh, this looks good. Do you want to go here? And I'm like, yes. Like two, <laughs> two weeks ago would have been nice. <laughs> Fucking hell. So uh, it's just one of those things. Yeah. Look, hopefully, at some point, I see you up there for a th- one of our themed events or for Armor Fest. Like, yeah, themed events are. I mean, they're one of those things that you just—they're tricky because people you need are. to you need people to have you know that particular theme. Otherwise, yeah. it's like, well, I'd love to go, but I just you know I've got the army for it. Well, that's it. I mean, the next one we're doing is I think we've got D Day in the works. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, it's um, we've actually written an entirely new mission for that as well, which is oh, yeah. interesting. Cool. Yeah, it's um, we tentatively headed at Blip. Um, I called it Drop Zone. Mm. So the idea is, it's kind of blind deployment or blind movement, and oh, I'm, you were telling me this. This sounds great. Yeah, so. Rather than showing your opponent what your list is, this is designed for 500 points. So the way it works is, uh, let's see. So each player consults their list and assigns a unit, a number to each unit. They then mark the relevant number against their army list. This is not revealed to the opponent. Now, the thing is, every player will have a number of tokens numbered 1 to 10 or for the relevant number of units in the force. So, what will eventually, what will happen is if you wanted to... So the game starts and, you know, your opponent has deployed X number of markers on the table. You have no idea what those units are. Yep. Now, 
the idea behind this and the concept of it being called drop zone is that it's a very scattered deployment, so you can come on from any table edge. You do have to pass leadership checks to come on, even from turn one, to represent yep. confusion of a night drop, not knowing where anything is. Yep. So, you move your marker up for, you know, say you brought on a unit of paratroopers. You move that marker up. Now, when it gets to within 12 inches, or... If your opponent has a unit in ambush and they open fire, the moment they open fire, they reveal their unit. You will also reveal your unit. Yeah. So the idea is you you're pushing up the board, you think, okay, that's a small fort that's a small village. There's probably a couple of squads of infantry there. The unit opens fire. Oh crap, it's a Panzer two. Or it's yep. a Panzer four. Or, you know, whatever. So it brings in that fog of war element, which is something that I think a few players have wanted to see. Yeah, it but is haven't really. It, it yeah, it's yeah. it's been missing for a while, um, and it always seemed a little bit. I do something okay. very similar when I do my solo gaming. Yeah, you did it with us. I was about to yeah. bring that up. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I I, I do that was actually great. System. Um, so, and I've been chipping away at it for a few other systems as well for sharp practice and, and the other games I tend to play solo uh, with mm. random um, random en uh, enemy activation. So, um, A, B, and C blips. A, generally speaking, will be infantry. B, support. C, armor. So, talking World War Two, of course. Yeah. Um, and then rolling on a, basically a random generator to generate a squad or a unit uh, to, first to see what the blip is. Um, so I base a lot of my stuff off a, um, a two fat lardy supplement called uh, Platoon Forward, um, where each mission has a set number of blips. So um, it'll be uh, it'll be usually represented as a num as the letter plus whatever. So A plus two, B plus one, C plus two, and that'll be the number of squads you've got. Plus two is your A total. Uh, number of support teams or squads, artillery, the like, will be a B plus whatever, and C will be your armor. Um, now, on those random tables, uh, you may not actually turn up anything. It's a false um, read. Um, mm. You could explain that by um, you know, bouncing sound or um, mistaken identity. Maybe it's a farmer pushing a cow down the road or something and not actually a a target tank. You got me now. You got me now, Yank. You exactly captured right. me. Um, it's a howling cow. Yeah. Howling cow. Some guy casabacking lamb chops. I've put uh, together random uh, unit charts um, based on um, on different theatres and availabilities and, and so forth. Um, so then I roll to see what I face. So playing solo... Um, I get that same fog of war or oh shit moment when I go, oh, <laughs> let's see what we've got here. And I roll the dice and all of a sudden my uh, scout infantry squad uh, face to face with some heavy armor. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. Oh shit, Jenkins. That's a panther. Yeah. <laughs> well, damn it, sir. I didn't know they were here. So, uh, yeah, so I've been working on that over the well, past couple of years for uh, bolt action also to be used across uh, Chain of Command, and I'm now working on sharp practice, um, the same sort of stuff for solo war. Um, as I get, did with you guys uh, about a year or so ago, some uh, narrative um, story-driven RPG-type 
uh, bolt action play. Yeah, that was a good bit of fun. Yeah, right until the wheels the wheels fell off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I want to get back to doing something like that again. Uh, we want you to get back to doing something. Yeah, like that again. like yeah. we want to finish that scrap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Set that table up again. Roofs will be expecting yeah. the moves tomorrow. Yeah. The Manchester uh, Rifles have work to do, and by yeah, God, they're going to do it. I may actually do that. I've been um, been meaning to get some more um, uh, time on the table. So, um, yeah, I might try to figure a, a better way of um, doing the turns rather than uh, via messenger, though. It's uh, just a way of trying to make things go a bit quicker, I think. Yeah, no, that's fair. Hmm. I've lost where we were. <laughs> Uh, drops over, um, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> at least yeah. his rabbit hole was relevant. Yeah, it's a yeah. Good rabbit hole. He, he's not wrong. Um, so yeah, that's drop zone. That is the uh, themed event. Um, there are a couple of changes. So rather than a forward artillery observer, British players can only take a free uh, forward air observer. Naval Observer. Yep, gotcha. Ah, Jesus, you're on it with the Naval Observer. Fucking love me now. Um, any army that has access to free artillery, any tank guns, you can only take the light variants to represent, you know, the fact that you're not dropping into a heavily fortified zone, you're not dropping with heavy equipment, that kind of thing. Yep. And the other thing, um, Americans don't get the benefit of their modern communications rule. So it's just something that adds to that whole, you know, confused night combat. Everything's just commanders is, don't have. Is this hang on, is this for a themed event? Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, no, uh, easy mode still gets its easy mode at competitive events. Don't worry. It's all good. No, no, no. no. I was more thinking. Um, so if that's in, and that's what based around D Day. Yeah. So um, theoretically, somebody could show up with the partisan list. Absolutely. You're gonna stop them from coming in from out flank with the, with no neg one. Um, I'm only asking because this will be the kind of question that eventually comes up, and you'll have to answer it. So you better it's better off to sort of go. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, thematically, I couldn't really see a reason for it because you would have members of the resistance who know those areas geographically like the um, back of their hand i get it from a you know a crunch wise perspective in terms of rules and fluidity yep um i'm gonna be honest that's when i probably need to have it think on for a bit longer but at this stage this is only the first draft so yeah that's yeah. definitely what i'll take into account yep. um oddly enough we never actually considered partisans when we looked at running a d-day event so yeah, 100%. So yeah. Just, yeah, unfortunately, it is one of those things that might come up. You might, I mean, yeah. everyone thinks D Day and everyone show up with, like, you know, um, you know, Germans and paratroopers. Oh, look, every man and his dog wants to do Easy Company. I exactly mean, we've right. all seen Band of Brothers. Yeah. Um, but oddly you know, enough, partisans, we actually kicked around the idea of partisans and then scotched it because the first thing we did was have a look at your idea of the 20 man blobs on with pistols. <laughs> and quickly came to the uh, conclusion that no one in their right mind wants to paint that. But no, since we're that's on exactly the... right. Yeah, since I'm on a cast with someone who's not in his right mind, Bruce, would you like to go ahead and paint 200 partisans? Well, I was <laughs> thinking I do have a French partisan army. Mm, of course you are. Of course you do, mate. I'm honestly concerned about the day where I mention a list and you don't have an army for it. <laughs> 
I do actually have Greeks and Danes coming. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. I, I give yeah, up. I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> no, no, I don't have Bulgarians. That's the only list that I can think of that I don't. Mate, have. you look fucking Bulgarian, right? Now. <laughs> <laughs> All you need's a bowl of goulash and a turnip, and you're good. Yeah, it's it a vulgar display of power. Goulash. <laughs> Serbian barjars from hell. Mm. All right. Okay. It's not pretty. It's not. It's a good look, though. <sighs> All right, so... I, mean, I will um, say the moustache is quite nice and thick. But, luxurious. for the love of God, anyone who's coming to CanCon, if Rubes is coming, we will have a therapist on hand. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> so where are you, you thinking about running like, this event? Uh, like Saga, where, um, you know, the player with the best beard goes first. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> I think in that event, Sneaky, it'll be player with the least traumatic beard and associated visage goes first. Mm. Um, sorry, what were you saying, Tristan? And this is getting run at armor for, at the Armour Museum? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, ideally, we would... See, here's the thing. We've always had this dream of running the themed events in front of um, relevant vehicles. Yeah. So, for the exhibition game we played, we actually ran um, we ran that in front of a Panzer Ford G and a Flak eighty eight. That's cool. Now, here's a little pro tip for the entire community: um, if you feel the need to headbutt something, don't headbutt the mudguard of a Flak eighty eight. No, that's uh, that doesn't sound like a good time at all. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, that was... I think that gave me a chronic headache for 24 hours. That was fine. Ah, it wasn't one of your prouder moments, was it? Oh, look, it wasn't one of my prouder moments, but hey, lessons learned. Um, someone mentioned Panzer Brigade 150, and I felt the need to headbutt something. So oh, it is what it is. I'd be sneaky. Why'd you go and do that to him? <laughs> um, yeah, no. Hopefully... We can wrangle it so that we can play in front of the Firefly. That would be great. That'd be cool. Because watching that beast move around while we were up there was absolutely phenomenal. Oh, um, Detroit engines. Oh, it was only topped by watching the Stug 4 get into action. That was poetry in motion. And surprisingly, that's a big chunk of steel. Nothing surprising about that at all. Yeah, probably shouldn't be surprised, but yeah, watching it actually get up to speed and run around the track, gorgeous. Absolutely mm. gorgeous. Oi. Right. All right. So that's coming up for end of the year. Uh, no, August, not end of the year. No, um, August is, sand, is um, Sandstorm. Armorfest. Armorfest, yeah. Yep. Sandstorm just happened. Yeah, I will likely yep. not be coming to that. Um, I would love to, but um, England. Yeah, Americans. it is what it is, man. It's yeah, trying to. Trying to get leave for another weekend away uh, will likely be the death sentence for me. She just gives you that look, like, hey, can I go and do this? And she looks at you and you're like, I can't do that, can I? She's like, what do you think? No. <laughs> That's fair enough. These things happen. I'm really, really excited right now because I'm literally just, I'm painting eyes on these five DAC models, which means I am nearly done. I'm being really quiet at the moment. 
I've got a fucking eye up. Everyone's painting amazing eyes. Yeah, you either do it or you don't. Unfortunately, I made the mistake of listening to Patch years ago, where he said, "Oh no, you should give it a try." And you know, oh, I can't do, I can't, I can't not do eyes now. And now I'm much like Patch. Every time I do a model, I have to do eyes because otherwise, it just doesn't look complete. Um, yeah, I, I mean, just run a line of uh, very dark contrast paint into there. Like you, it's so out of scale. Yeah, uh, to have, right. be able to see the eyes on a. 28 millimeter figure. Yeah, yeah especially no, on the uh, Perry. Like, they're yeah. absolutely minute. Oh, yeah. I avoided that by simply never painting eyes, and I honestly have no intention of ever doing it. Yeah, it's like I never had an intention of doing it. Like I said, unfortunately, I had a conversation with Patch once where I showed him something I was working on. He was like, Oh, that looks really good. Are you going to paint eyes? And I'm like, Oh, probably not. He's like, Oh, you should. Yeah, it looks good. And unfortunately, yeah, I'm now. Yeah, but I mean, Patch is a very persuasive guy. He is. He says something, you just go, I'll do that. Mm. Um, the pain in the ass about Patch is he makes it sound so easy. Yeah. And then you realise that it's actually giving me an aneurysm just doing this. <laughs> oh, God, he looks like he's cockeyed. Oh, the last one as well. Ah, fuck it. <laughs> oh, that was every one's got one. it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was nice knowing you, Tristan. Who made this man a gunner? I did, sir. He's my cousin. <laughs> I said a crosser knows not up it. <laughs> He's got not only your six, but your nine and your twelve. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything else coming up, boys, that we know of? Because, uh, oh, Sneaky, what's going on with your event? Are you? Is that still happening? Uh, I've just put that on the back. I've been so busy with other stuff. Um, haven't really thought of it, to be perfectly honest. Can you post it on that one, though, won't you? Yeah, well, I'm just going to wait till the uh, dust settles a little bit with the new job before I uh, take on any more responsibility. Oh, I'm hearing you, man. I'm hearing you. I just, uh, if you want any help, let me know. Can we give you a chop out? Um, yeah, it'd be good to see some more events run down here, which is, for whatever reason, they're just not happening at the moment. Oh, it's the time of year, where, like, everyone's in hibernation mode, it's fucking freezing. Yeah, 100%. Um, oh, God, okay, he looks, Jesus Christ, he's looking in two different directions, or oh, I'm fucking abandoning that idea. That's <laughs> <laughs> all fucking tits up. Marty, Marty Friedman. The, yeah, uh, 100%. Tristan's paint eyes like, may not look good, but something that does look good is the bacon burgers are now on Instagram. We are. Yes, you can find us this. at the bacon burgers, or one word. There um, we go. So yes, we may even convince Tristan to put up a, a post of uh, some gorgeous-looking eyes. <laughs> Nothing um, gorgeous about these things, mate. <laughs> Fucking, you'll look at them and go, oh, "Jesus Christ!" Now I really want to see them. They. Yeah, I really, if we can get uh, right, here's here's a challenge. If we can get twenty more, um, twenty more uh, followers on Instagram, we'll get yep. uh, Tristan to put up some wonky painted eyes. We get forty, we'll get Bruce put up a picture of his beard. Oh, Hell, that's I'd a have challenge. done it for four. <laughs> You'd have done it for a Snickers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bruce has done a lot more for a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Well, twenty bucks is twenty bucks. Yeah, twenty bucks is twenty bucks. <laughs> Rubes now whistles when he walks. 
but uh, <laughs> not from his mouth. <laughs> leave everyone with that one. Okay. Yep, leave everyone with a bit of trauma. Why yeah. Not? Speaking of trauma, I think... Um, I'm, boys, I've got to be honest, I'm fucking wrecked. <laughs> Is everyone feeling the same way? Because I've, I've, yeah. I've well and truly had enough. Um, we're, at this stage, we're literally just hanging shit on each other, which, you know, it's it's funny, <laughs> but it doesn't make for good fucking podcast content. <laughs> so I think uh, I think at this stage, we'll probably say good night. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's one member of the community who's got a mental image of the four bacon burgers bare knuckle fighting in a cage of shopping trolley somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that hasn't happened. Uh, well, no. And, no but, I'm not saying know. that it won't happen again. No. Again, no. I mean, if I have to share another fucking room with you, Rubes, and listen to you snoring, then yeah, it will oh, fucking happen. That was on another level. I felt oh, bad. Oh, Jesus Christ. That was fucking biblical. Yeah, I mean, like... seriously, I, I, I felt bad, and then I just laughed at you, so I felt better about it. So that was... <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I, honestly, I thought that once you got... Honestly, I thought once you got over the age of 35, you only yawned at a socially unacceptable level. I didn't realise you also snored at a socially unacceptable level. <laughs> I can, yeah. Oh, Jesus. I mean, seriously, Rubes' snoring was so loud that Lily was actually, like, we were in Tasmania when this happened, and Lily was still calling him from fucking mainland Victoria going, can you shut up? You keep me awake. <laughs> Extreme sleep apnea will do that to you. <laughs> That's fucking insane. The funny thing was, like, okay, so we were, we, this is when we went to um, uh, Sudlich. Um, we touched down and we, you know, like, you know, Dennis sort of stood out with some accommodation and I actually fucking, there were only two bedrooms and I do snore. So I just sort of said, listen, I'm going to go and sleep in this room. I snore. I don't want anyone fucking being kept awake by me. <laughs> Rubes was a fucking window rattler. Like, I seriously, like I could, I was, at one stage there, I kind of woke up and went to the toilet and it was, it was literally like someone was trying to like, like pull start a fucking leaf blower in your room. And I'm like, what is happening there? Oh, it was it was brutal. I mean, it was brutal. I, honestly, I don't know if you were snoring at any point, Tristan, because no, if you were, it was like you were sn- you were snoring through a fucking suppressor. Meanwhile, Mister Armored Convoy rolling past here, yeah, it's bloody snoring. <laughs> like, oh Christ, it was rattling through my brain for days afterwards. You looked pretty fucking shot the next day. I've got to say, it was pretty funny. Yeah, I think that's why I made so many fucking tactical errors in my game. Yeah, blame, that's right. That's right. Blame the fucking blame the snoring, and then oh. the and then the next night you were just like, "No, nah, I'm fucking, I'm not doing this again." You went and crashed out in the front room under the um under the the, the in inverted sky. commas broken skylight. <laughs> <laughs> that actually wasn't too bad though, because the fire was right next to me. So yeah, no, it was well. Good. Sleeping in front of a log fire never gets old. No, I was um. It was one of those things I really wanted to go down to Sudlich this year, but unfortunately it just wasn't to be. Yeah. Um, as soon as you sort of put England on the uh, on the agenda, then everything else kind of takes a takes a mm. fucking backwards step. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a bit of the same for me with Armorfest being on the cards again and flying down for a certain uh, wedding from one of the Bacon Burgers. Whoa. Um, Spoiler alert. And, yeah, no longer being of the uh, single man life, I have to sacrifice a few things here and there. So, it is what it is. It is what it is, indeed. Um, 
Yeah, Hari's Hari got a girlfriend. Uh, you know, he purchased her from a local sex shop, blew her up, and um, it's all good. That was so. down low, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, what can I say? I've I play things close to the chest, and when I say close to the chest, I mean inside a vest pocket, inside a vest pocket. So, yeah. yeah um, look, honestly, I didn't want to say anything until there was something worth saying. Simple as that. And, and now he's yeah. shouting it from the rooftops and sending us nudes. It's fucking horrible. <laughs> I'll tell you that for free right now. Wait, you got those nudes? Yeah. Oh, fuck. I know, they were meant for your mum, but, you know, I just passed them off. <laughs> Uh, Bryce, I don't know whether my soul tried to come out or my fucking I tried to throw up a hairball, but yeah. I think on that note, boys, the yeah, Makenbergs are done for tonight. Really cool. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, <laughs> we've devolved to insulting each other's mums. I think that's probably that's probably the fucking the, the good oil to fucking knock it on the head. Oh, Alright okay. guys, look, thanks for joining us and again. Um we will be back uh at some stage very, very soon to talk more shit. Um, if you've got anything Always. you want to talk to us about or if you've got anything you want us to cover, please give us a give us a shout. If you um, were affected by any of the issues raised in tonight's podcast, please seek psychological help. You're going to yeah. need it. Yeah, you fucking definitely need it. <laughs> and don't forget to check us out on uh, the old Insta and uh, yep. Facebook. And give it six months, we'll be on TikTok. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm hitting stop now on the recording. <laughs> all right, night, guys. See you all. <laughs>